Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. Uh, later as well and how important it is for 
uh, via local folks, uh, perhaps such as yourself, and to combat the growing uh, liberal uh, control over the nation and fighting that. But anyway, so what, uh, what different areas, which different neighborhoods are you going to be representing? Okay, so it's a it's a huge mix, as you kind of uh, uh, mentioned. Um, it goes from downtown all the way up to part of Springfield Township and kind of hugs I-75 on both sides. So it includes a lot of diverse neighborhoods uh, like Mount Adams, uh, Westwood, uh, parts of Price Hill, uh, north side Mount Airy, North College Hill, Mount Healthy, uh, one of the districts in Springfield Township, Mount Airy. Um, it's wow. uh, over 120,000 people, and it's uh, uh, one of the biggest districts, I think, in the state. Well, I'll tell you what, certainly they do. Uh, a couple of those, and I won't mention why, but are, are definitely, because I frankly don't live too far from them. <laughs> I won't say which ones uh, they are, uh, but perhaps off air we can have a discussion. Uh, so do you live in one of those townships or areas? Yeah, I'm not I live asking in which one, but you – I live in North College Hill, and people can find that on my website. Um, you know, so that's uh, – most of it is city of Cincinnati. The only two areas, North College Hill, Mount Healthy, and the small uh, part of uh, Springfield Township are within the city of Cincinnati proper. So we face a lot of the same type of issues that a lot of urban areas uh, have faced and, and, quite frankly, have faced for um, multiple decades. And, and that's kind of what prompted me to – to run and throw my hat in the ring and see if we could find maybe a, a different type of solution to some of these issues. Yeah. Cause you mentioned that the Democrats pretty much had, and I'm, you know, just for full disclosure, I'm an independent. So uh, I do lean of course, more, you know, towards uh, Republicans, I guess they had to pick between a Republican and a Democrat. Um, and so, yeah, actually answer my kind of answer my question a little bit is, you know, why, you know, you decide to throw your hat in the ring and go up against it. It sounds like a challenge. It's been a very long time since Republicans held that seat. Is that correct? Uh, it, it was uh, the seat was created by the Ohio General Assembly in 1966, and it's been Democrat ever since. <laughs> so you're no, right in saying challenge. They... I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, certainly. And, and why they think it's the, the same type of folks are, are still working for for them? Uh, I don't know. It makes me wonder why, you know, especially with, at least nationally, what the unemployment rates for, you know, black Americans and things of that nature are, and they still want to, and especially in Democrat-held cities, and they still think that they are the party for the, uh, you know, the party for, for their uh, their people. Uh, but let's go ahead and uh, we'll go into the, you know, the interviews. I don't know how much time you can uh, spend with us tonight. Uh, you may or may not know this, but... Uh, you know, we can, and we usually do run about three-hour show. You don't have, of course, to think for the whole uh, time, but as much time as uh, we can give, and we'll see uh, if we you know, get to that third hour, uh, hour. We may just do an abbreviated uh, show for tonight, but we'll see. But first, let's go ahead and get to it. Uh, now, the first we'll go by the issues that you have on your website, because I'm sure folks who see the link here uh, can go to your website and see more about you. But, you know, the, the questions be more to, you know, elaborate more on some of the things you mentioned. And, uh, you know, are on your website and with the different issues. And the first one you mentioned is education. And you say you will add uh, to the uh, initiative such as uh, preschool promise. Uh, and if you could explain to the folks who do not know what preschool promise is, then how would you uh, add to that program? Uh, absolutely. So preschool promise is an initiative that uh, that started in Cincinnati that 
um, I support, although in, in different uh, in a different form. It, it basically makes the promise that preschool will be available uh, for all students in the Cincinnati Public School District. Now, again, since you are a bit of a national audience, that's part of a tax levy that's uh, that voters will, will decide on uh, on November eighth. Uh, I think that there needs to be some changes to it, uh, but. The idea is that we get kids into school earlier, we get them reading earlier, we get them involved with academic life earlier uh, so that they can become more successful. There's been a number of studies, including one by the RAND Corporation, that says uh, that we know students succeed when, um, when they have that uh, exposure through preschool. Uh, and, and I think that's an important, uh, an important aspect of what the government should do. I, I think government should be there to strengthen families. I don't think that... That, that the government uh, is is there to serve the families. I don't think that the government's there to provide, uh, to take the place of families. But I think that every every end of every goal of government should be in improving the family in some way or another. Ultimately, the family is the most important political unit. And whatever we can do to strengthen that, I think will strengthen our country and will strengthen uh, the, the urban areas and some of the inner city areas. Okay, one of the things, uh, if you hear a pause or something, uh, for me while I'm on here, for, for those who are new, uh, is that I've got multiple screens and multiple things <laughs> pop up that, you know, I do. I do the call screening. I, I get uh, messages from chat. I get messages from uh, Facebook, which I'm actually looking at someone. Thank you, Linda. Uh, they're on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, just give us a call uh, at 347-945-7428. And, uh, Linda, if you're uh, listening now, but we'll get you into the show. Just push the one on the number dial once you're ready to get in. I do see Susan uh, would like to chime in. I do see a couple other callers. Uh, once you're ready, just push the one on the number dial. Uh, we also see our friend uh, Dr. Tolbert. Uh, I believe he's going to be uh, coming in uh, later on tonight. And so we'll uh, be getting uh, him in as well on the show. He's actually running. Uh, in Florida, is a writing candidate. Uh, he's been endorsed by the Constitution Party. And that is one of the things we do here is promote, uh, you know, the grassroots uh, candidates, uh, third parties, uh, things of that nature. Um, so once uh, you're ready, Dr. Tolbert, just push the one number down. We'll get you in as well. And so now how would you add to that program? Uh, I don't think we, we, we got to that. Absolutely. Add to it in that uh, right now it's it's only uh, – in certain segmented areas, and I think it should be available to all. Uh, but, but I want to emphasize, not in its current form. It, it needs to. Uh, I, I'm not a fan of it being controlled by Cincinnati Public Schools. I think that bureaucratically, that they, they, uh, I, I don't really want them handling the money part of it. I think it should be someone else to handle it. But I, it should be available to to all children that want it. That preschool promise. Again, statistically, we know that um, it makes a difference. Um, and I think groups like uh, uh, churches and, and places like that can fill some of that void as well. I don't think it needs to strictly be limited to Cincinnati Public Schools. And part of this would also inc include a parent outreach. Um, you know, for a lot of folks that, that are going to be unsuccessful in school, it's a generational issue. I think that we need to get the parents involved uh, and almost, in a way, try to educate them as to how they can help educate their children. Uh, because ultimately that's, in my mind, where the buck stops. It stops with the family. And, you know, almost 20 years of teaching, I've found that the biggest variable is how involved the family is, uh, ultimately. I mean, I can do what I can do in the classroom, but if the family supports 
what I do. If the family uh, really stresses education in the home, that's really going to make the difference. So I think it needs to be part of a holistic approach uh, that includes involvement and outreach to, to the families. And that's what I mean by expansion of and also not limiting it to Cincinnati Public Schools. And then also you stated in there, and, and maybe the, the the question I have after that would be uh, more fitting for this part of the conversation, so maybe we'll, we'll, we'll go there first. And so do you support the uh, current voucher system, and if so, why or why not? Uh, yeah, I think that, yes, I support it. I think that ultimately competition uh, is what is what is the engine that makes the country run. I think competition is good, and um, you know, again, I have almost 20 years, uh, mostly in I started Cincinnati Public Schools, but mostly in in parochial schools, and uh, that competition creates a better product. Uh, schools compare to each other. Uh, schools realize that the student and the student's parents are really consumers, and that they need to provide uh, a, a, a valuable product, and it's. It's not just part of a bureaucratic ends, uh, and that's why I would support that voucher system. Uh, right now, the way that the state of Ohio does, however, is a pass-through system where the money goes through the hands of the local school district then to uh, the alternative school. Again, I, I think we ought to cut out that, that middleman. Don't let it go through the school system. Make it directly to the, to, to the uh, uh, end, end uh, product with the, with the alternative school. Uh, so, for instance, if you're in Sycamore School District in paying taxes in Sycamore, they would get the money then provide it to the charter school uh, or the alternative school. I think we cut out that school district. Now, and let me use an example that, I, that I've heard, um, and, you, and you tell me if this would apply, is I, – I, now I send my daughters – this is actually her first, her first year – uh, to a private school, you know, I work my, my tail off to work extra so that she can go, you know, it's, it's a lot of money, Let you know, let's just say it's, it's over 10 grand to go there. Okay. And so let's say I heard someone who, you know, she lived in the school district and she's like, well, you know, it's, it's a failed school district. So basically the city or whoever cuts her check for about the same amount, you know, of what it would be for that, for her student, you know, to go to the same school. Now, what do you say to parents who, you know, are working those extra hours in order for their, their kids to get to those private schools, and then someone is basically just handed a check for $11,000 or whatever um, to go to that school, you know, to go to the same school? I mean, I think that it needs to be a uniform. Either we uh, we provide it for for all parents in that situation or not, and whether – uh, you know, the, the parents of the students I teach realize it or not, I'm sure they do. They're actually paying twice, and they're paying through their taxes. And, oh, uh, I know. I am paying yeah. twice. I, I, I think we deserve a tax break. I think people uh, yeah, who send absolutely. their kids to private schools should get some kind of tax break. Yeah, absolutely. And there's people who don't have kids be, at all. <laughs> yeah, right. It, it, shouldn't, it, should, it shouldn't make a difference. It should be uniform throughout the state on how that approach is done uh, because that is unfair. And the reason that you, you sought out a private school is that you felt that it would be a better end product. Ultimately, and I don't think this happens overnight, but ultimately that, that allows the public school to, to, to either prosper or, or, or be eliminated in that case. I mean, it, you know, the whole idea is that, it, that competition is, is going to make that uh, public school a better school. So I really believe in a, in a really kind of roundabout way by sending your child to a private school, um, 
if there's a voucher program and there's a cost to the public school for losing that student, it's going to make them better. It's going to make them more accountable. You know, I have to say, I mean, if, if, if the same stance now with the voucher system. I, I used to. I used to, I used to support it. I think, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. That's a good, you know, uh, you know, a way for, you know, money to come in. But and, you know, a lot of what uh, – and, and this is actually on the grade school level uh, that I'm seeing is, you know, of course, there's private grade schools too. And, right. you know, I know I've known and talked to folks who said, look, you know, these kids who are coming in – now, it's no fault of the kids, of course – but they're coming in, and they've got parents who aren't involved in, in their school. They're parents who are not involved in the education. Uh, but yet there's – and then, of course, that reflects on the students. The students, let's be honest, they're just not as disciplined. And when you go to a, you know, one of those private schools, the kids, you know, they really stress uh, discipline. So, unfortunately, what I've heard happen when I talk to these folks is, you know, they come – you know, these students, you know, come in. And they're very disruptive. They're disruptive to something that's otherwise would have been a very disciplined, you know, disciplined atmosphere, uh, environment that the other students, I mean, and the other parents are frankly paying for. I mean, they're paying for their child to be in a place that's not so chaotic. But yet, you know, when, when these, you know, kids, unfortunately, as I said, they're part of their own who haven't, you know, aren't as disciplined as the other ones, you know, frankly, as we've said earlier, because of the lack of parental involvement. You know, then, then you know, it's like, well, wait a minute. What, we're not getting what we're paying for. We're not getting that product. It's actually diminishing the product that we're paying for. And that's been the, the biggest argument in my mind against that, that type of system. That's where the school needs to respond. I, I mean, it's education, unfortunately, has evolved quite a bit to um, what we can do, and I've seen it in my own career, what we can do to keep uh, students happy. I mean, yeah, I want them to, to learn in a happy environment, but it's not really – uh, there is an adult-student relationship that needs to be maintained, and there is discipline. And, you know, kids are kids for a reason. They do things wrong, um, and, and they need that guidance. And if the school's not going to hold them accountable, you're right. It, uh, we've just shifted the burden uh, from the public school to the to the private or parochial school. And I do think there needs to be account. And I know that's happened with a lot of – with at least one local high school where – Basically, the voucher system failed because they didn't hold accountability to the students or the parents. Um, ultimately, you get them out of there if they're, if they're going to be disruptive because you're right. Um, um, in a setting like that, a lot of times uh, the quality doesn't rise to the top. People fall to, the, to more of a lower common denominator, and it, it impacts the learning of everybody in the classroom, and that's not uh, fair either. I mean, we're looking at a constitutional question. Everybody has the right uh, to to uh, uh, equal opportunity in the classroom, and uh, it shouldn't cost you. You shouldn't have to. Your child shouldn't have to pay in lost opportunities uh, because of a voucher system. So when I when I talk about this whole thing, I, I'm talking about really changing the way we approach it, uh, um, in that it's not just an automatic in. I mean, just hey, here's my voucher. I'm still going to show up 30% of the time or 40% of the time and do what I want. No, there needs to be an accountability through the school. And I think we've really struggled to deal with that, that issue. Yeah, there's definitely others. And we do have uh, some callers who'd like to chime in. Uh, I do have some interview questions I do want to ask. I'm glad you mentioned the Constitution. I'm sure we'll be talking about that a lot because that's one of the topics we do focus on. So what I'll do, folks, is I'll try to uh, run through these uh, with us. But, you know, I do want to – uh, do this because it is going to help to elaborate and answer some questions folks may have 
uh, after, you know, our while reading his website, which we do have a link up there, www.electorwallerts.com. That's W-A-H-L-E-R-T. But I do have the website up there. So uh, they may want to have some answers uh, filled out, whether they're listening to the podcast uh, later after the show, uh, after we're recording. Well, we are live, but, you know, after the recording to kind of fill that out. But anyway, so last question for the education as you mentioned also in there, that you would reform uh, the curriculum. How so? You know, there's this idea that we, we struggle with now that, um, and look, I I have the, the benefit of a of a pretty lengthy college education, um, but it's it's not for everyone. Yeah, and I've I seen make, that. <laughs> what's that? Go ahead. Uh, yeah, That's I make that joke. That. <laughs> <laughs> that, that joke all the time is that, look, who do you want? Who's easier to find at midnight on New Year's Eve? A, a, a French lit major or a plumber? Uh, I mean, you know, you're really going to need the plumber that night. You're going to have to pay. I, I think we've undersold things like vocational school. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we statistically know that people that graduate vocational school, they're going to make more than, than I made with my bachelor's in history, um, which is kind of a liberal artsy type degree that doesn't have a direct uh, link to a job. And we also know that, that that those folks are more likely to establish families, establish homes, buy homes, vote. And, and again, the idea is that we're strengthening the family. So I think one reform is we need to abandon the idea that college is for everyone. Uh, um, you know, I have a lot of college education. I I can't I can't change out a, a bathroom fixture. Uh, we need you know. And then, by the way, they make more than I do <laughs> financially. So uh, I mean. I think that we look down upon that, and that's that's the backbone of what made America. And moving on, and I'm sure there's other folks who want to chime in. Uh, I think we do have uh, Linda uh, in the call, too. Linda, if you're ready to chime in, just push the one you know, on the dial. We do have a couple of folks uh, ahead of you, but we will get you in. Uh, so let's go ahead and talk about uh, – yep, we see you there. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about faith-based solutions. Uh, now, you stated you want to give uh, churches, and you mentioned this also with education, churches the tools uh, to address community issues and more and have more grassroots changes uh, done by the churches. Uh, what type of uh, grassroots changes are you speaking of, and what kind of tools uh, would you want to have get the church to be able to do that? Well, I, I, I'm a very big proponent of what, uh, you know, what George W. Bush introduced with his faith-based solutions and the idea that who's better positioned to solve problems like uh, social problems that we have, homelessness and, and hunger issues, and, and even we're seeing now uh, mental health issues than working through the church instead of using a broad, large federal agency uh, to look at this. We, I think we really need the folks on the ground uh, that understand the community, understand them, the people, understand the culture, and one of the assets that, that the Ohio 32 is, has is a lot of very, very historical churches that have been around for a long time, um, and they want to help. Uh, and I don't know that we're always giving them the tools to do so. I, I think that we need a bigger link. Uh, now, I, I get a lot of pushback on this, on the whole idea of separation of, of church and state, uh, which is often cited. But uh, but if you look at our country's history, uh, that uh, the idea is that, that religion has played an active role in our formation. And I think to abandon it now is part of the issue that we face. Um, you know, I've, I've talked to many uh, uh, preachers who have made a difference in kids' lives, 
because they're there at boots on the ground level and there's somebody that the children can identify with. And I think that's a significant uh, role for churches to play. You see the churches, regardless of, of, of the type of religion you are, provide things like uh, um, you know food pantries and back-to-school uh, items and, and even in my own community, meals on Wednesdays or Thursdays for folks that need it. I, I think you need to get people in these these institutions uh, so that they can now make a difference uh, in, in their lives and, and help improve their, their status and move them towards a more positive-looking future. And speaking, speaking of, uh, you know, the churches, an issue that's been, and we, talked, we touched on this a little bit last week, uh, last week's show, uh, one issue that's been, you know, kind of come up lately, at least nationally, uh, is the, that pastors ought to be able to be allowed to be more politically active, uh, even from the pulpit. Uh, would you support something uh, like this? And if so, how would you work as being a house rep- state house representative uh, just making that a reality? Um, you ask me a question I, I haven't given a lot of thought in terms of active politically because I see it more of a social engagement. Uh, and as a state rep, uh, you know, I'm – I'm not going to be the one that says, are you a Democrat or are you a Republican? I want to be the one that links the people uh, to the government. Um, Just like I mentioned before, non-denominational for food pantries, I think uh, I'm a little uncomfortable with with churches actively supporting candidates instead of supporting causes um, because I feel that it's going to be unevenly uh, unevenly, uh, disciplined. I mean, we we saw it with the Obama administration and the IRS with the uh, with the uh, Tea Party groups and how they were targeted. I'm just afraid that uh, that that certain groups will be allowed to go beyond um, beyond what other groups are allowed. There's going to be favoritism in it. I think we can limit it to just issues and 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 still successfully face a lot of this, a lot of the problems that we have. Hmm. Well, we'll definitely, you know, I'm sure touch more about it. I think it's uh, one topic that Dr. Colbert may uh, discuss more. But, you know, moving on to jobs and the economy, uh, you know, you're, you're talking about building special economic zones. If you could explain the concept of, to those who really don't know quite what that is. Yeah, so in order to make it a sustainable model, uh, part of the issue that, that we have in 32, many urban areas have, is the idea that, yeah, A, they can't draw new corporations there, but B, they're having a hard time keeping the ones that have been there for a number of years. And I think that you need to build uh, kind of the Rand Paul model of, and Jack Kemp had it earlier, uh, of exclusive economic zones to give tax breaks uh, um, uh, for companies to locate there and to hire uh, people that live in the community and so that you can build that sustainable model. And I think part of this also uh, that I've talked a lot about is the idea of uh, the, in Cincinnati, the Metro, which does a fantastic job of going from north to south, but has a more difficult function of going from east to west. University of Cincinnati just did a report. Uh, they issued that there are some 75,000 jobs um, that are not reachable by the Metro if the, all they need to do is expand it uh, one or two routes east to west so that we can provide more freedom of economic opportunity for people in urban districts like 32. And most of those jobs, by the way, are health services and manufacturing. Uh, they pay more than the typical 
uh, uh, service industry job that we see in Ohio 32. So I think the sustainability model that we need to build in the district is one where folks have a reason to stay there, to set up roots. Then the schools become better. Then the communities become better uh, because we've built a sustainable model. Uh, and, and the economic zones uh, give tax benefits for companies to come there and hire folks uh, and, and, and be a part and be uh, an important stakeholder in the community. And for me, I hope there will, will also be uh, environmentally sustainable as well because, yes, yeah, <laughs> I'm an environmentalist uh, here as well. Yes, uh, conservative environmentalists do exist. And, and one of the big topics, you know, I'm sure you've heard a lot about it, uh, but we want, I want to get your stance on it because you, you don't mention it on your website, is the issue of raising the minimum wage. And, and one of the uh, t- you know, numbers I guess they're throwing out there is, you know, like $15 an hour. What's your stance on that? Again, the word that you'll hear a lot from me is sustainability. Uh, I think that ultimately that's going to cost more jobs than it, it will create. I would love to be the one that says, hey, yeah, let's raise it, uh, because that's a, you know, honestly, that's a vote getter. That's why, in my mind, people say it. But I think of the people that will lose their jobs <laughs> yeah. as a result. And I also think uh, about people who would. And they'll be able to get more taxes out of the people, too. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And I think about the people that lose that, that lose initiative. Um, I mean, I think there's something to be said. You know, my first job as a stock boy at Hader Hardware in Dillonvale, um, which still which doesn't exist now, 201 an hour um, at the age of 15 gave me some initiative to say, you know what, this is not quite what I want. Um, and I think that's important, too. I always mm-hmm. feel that if you work for it, it's 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 means more to you than if it's given to you. Uh, and I know that that's the, that. The hard, cruel reality of some of this is that there are folks that, that are making minimum wages and, and can't get by um, because of any – because sometimes because of choices they've made on, on their own. Other times maybe things that are outside their control. Uh, but it's been my experience a lot of the jobs at that rate exist. Um, it's just a matter of connecting people with it. And I can go back to the metro and say, hey, let's connect. So here in the Cincinnati area for your, your listeners and other areas, northern Kentucky – has tons of jobs, but it's really difficult to make the eight-mile jaunt from Cincinnati to northern Kentucky to an area like Hebron where the airport is, where there are things from Amazon and Wayfair that pay 10 12 bucks an hour, FedEx, uh, all those places. If we get people there, I think that, that, that we've accomplished that minimum wage without artificially changing the, uh, uh, the, the, the invisible hand of capitalism. Okay, and then we're going to go uh, to, uh, you know, pro-life. I just got a, uh, one question for that and then move on to the Second Amendment. Uh, so how would you, you know, protect the unborn as a state representative? Uh, well, it, it, at this point, uh, I, I would maintain the laws that, that are in place. I mean, we have uh, this, this most recent General Assembly uh, defunded Planned Parenthood. Um, and obviously, this whether abortion is legal or illegal, uh, is, is now a question that has been decided by the Supreme Court and is relatively out of the hands of the states. Uh, so I would continue that, those policies and make sure that that continues to be defunded. Now, there is, again, like I said, pushback on that issue uh, because Planned Parenthood does a lot of other things. Uh, the thing that I found through my research is that, like a lot of the cancer screening that it may do and things like that, they actually farm out to another uh, they're just a, 
they're just they go find subcontractors for. And my point has mm-hmm. always been, well, let's cut them out and just go straight to the subcontractors uh, for things like right. that. I mean, it, it, that's a conservative approach to begin with, and now we're not offending people by letting the money go through pro, uh, pro-abortion groups, and we're not sure where the money goes. It's, it's not like each dollar is labeled. This is, this is not going to be used for an abortion. This is. We completely skip that step. And we're definitely going to tie everything in, you know, this evening on, you know, why, you know, what we're talking about tonight, how this – you know, can affect the national stage. Of course, you know, our, you know, grassroots local candidates, uh, you know, today could be our, you know, national senators, congressmen, maybe even president one day. So it's definitely important to have uh, conservatives in there uh, who will, you know, work towards, you know, bringing us back from the left, which we all know uh, is we're shifting to. But I I would be remiss in my duties if I didn't play this next quick quick audio clip and then get back to our uh, interview with uh, candidate uh, Matthew Waller, and we will get to our calls. I promise we have plenty of time. But first, let's get to the Patriot Journalist Network. You're not just listening to a show. You're part of the powerful voice of the conservative conversation on Blog Talk Radio. Nothing worthwhile has ever been accomplished without teamwork. PJNet invites you to help make a difference by adding your voice to the team grassroots conservatives working together to take our country back. To find out more, check out the PJNet hashtag and visit our website at PatriotJournalist.com. Let PJNet add our muscle to your hustle. Again, folks, definitely check out the Patriot Journalist Network at www.PatriotJournalist.com. And you can see the interviews that we've also had with the founder, Mark Prasik, uh, on the show. Uh, you can look through the archives and also uh, through the iPod uh, for the podcasts that are free. So you can go to iTunes, actually, and download uh, to your phone or your mobile device uh, or to, you know, if you do iTunes on your computer uh, for free, you can download all of our episodes here at Bard's Logic uh, Political Talk as well as those uh, as I said, with Mark Prasic. So let's go ahead and uh, back to our guest. We'll get to the callers for our interview. So one of the things I got to pin you down on here, uh, something I noticed about your website, and, you know, I do this on air, but I don't know when the next opportunity will have for me to bring this up, but that I found a typo on your website. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, just on the Second Amendment where it says, too often the word too is only spelled with one L. And you need oh, to throw gosh, another, that's another like a, O in there. I dropped kids a letter grade for that in my classes, so uh, <laughs> touche. I'll have to. <laughs> I wish I could. The buck stops with me. I wish I could find somebody that, that, that did it, but it was me. <laughs> no, but I appreciate well, you, you, you pointing that you out. You left out there, buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and, and let's move on to the real issues. Uh, is, uh, so what are your uh, thoughts on increasing the intensity of background checks? Uh, as far as uh, for, uh, for gun purchases, for, for gun as purchases. far as gun purchases, and it's interesting. I, I just had this discussion with a couple of my high school students after school today, and, and they're very, very much. Everybody wants to solve the problem of mass shootings, and, and I think that we're conditioned to think, well, more rules will help, and and that seems to be where everybody wants to go. And, and my point is, well, wait a second, what are the rules that we have? Are those working? And, you know, it it sounds trite, but you can point to Chicago, 
who has the strictest strictest gun control laws in the United States and have had, I think, up to today, and it could be off plus or minus 5%, 3,000 shootings. Uh, so to me, the idea of increasing the veracity of gun check, of background checks, I don't know that it'll work. And one of the things that we often hear is the idea of matching it up with the terror watch list. Well, the terror watch list isn't, that's not done accurately. So before we add another layer, I'll talk about another layer if we can get the first layer done correctly, but I don't have a whole lot of, a lot of uh, confidence in getting the first layer done. Um, adding another layer just isn't going to solve the issue. I think you have to work with the laws that you have in order to make sure those work correctly. And, and you know, I, it sounds like bumper sticker talk, but really, am I going to care if I'm breaking the law, if I'm, you know, if I'm holding a gun illegally or bought it illegally, but I'm using it in a robbery? I mean, it, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of common sense to me. And um, I think that we're seeing more and more often that we need to, we need that protection. And as a teacher, do you think that we should end, uh, and, and even in schools, gun presents? I think, well, let me separate the schools out. I, I, I mean, universities, I think it's worth discussing. Um, you know, grades, elementary schools, uh, middle schools, high schools, I don't know what the end product of that will look like. I, there's a lot of talk uh, about, you know, arming teachers, for example. And that makes me very uncomfortable because police officers train their entire lives um, and may or may not use their weapon, their service weapon, um, and we put them under a huge microscope. And we're going to tell it, give a teacher like eight hours of professional development a year and say, all right, now you protect the school too. Um, so, you know, as far as ending it, I, I, I don't really have a, a direct answer for you. I think that we need to work on making the schools safer. I don't think having them or ending them really makes a difference either way. The people that are going to break the law are going to bring the gun in and break it. Um, well, what, what, what someone suggested using uh, retired military uh, or, or veterans, uh, you know, of course, they have to go through you know, extensive screening, I would guess, you know, make, you know, make sure there's no, you know, let's be honest, mental issues or anything of that nature. But some were suggesting, that, and they may not even, the schools may not even uh, have to even pay for it because, I mean, these might even be uh, men and women volunteering to do this, uh, where you have an ex-military, no, I'm not saying they're in, you know, military garb, of course, but, you know, someone who's an ex-military person acting as a, you know, a guard in our schools, you know, once again being uh, protecting and serving and uh you know, of being a part of, uh, you know, making a difference again. And, and, and I think you look outside the box on this. So uh, to mention a school district directly, I think it's Fairfield High School that uses the uh, dog. They have a dog that's trained to attack an active shooter. And the dog's become a little bit like a, a mascot among the school. And that's, I mean, that's a whole lot cheaper than hiring people. It's, it's you know, it's not a human response, mm -hmm. but it's a deterrent. And, and, you know, and I think the idea of using retired police officers, military, also a good idea. I know that a number of them reached out to the, the stadiums in Ohio uh, to, to, to come to games armed is a, is a deterrent uh, to would-be uh, uh, would terrorists and things like that. And that was, uh, I think, largely uh, uh, shot down, uh, defeated, and the idea was kind of tabled. But you're right. I think that there needs – the more deterrent we can, deterrence we can have, uh, the better. Uh, it, 
it's going to make people think twice. You just point back to Texas with the situation where the they had the cartoon display and a couple people rolled up some jihadists and I mean there was like seven or eight civilians that fired on them before they could get a shot off. And that's what the Second Amendment is about. We just got uh, about three more questions, and we're going to bring uh, the callers in. Uh, and so let me go uh, this way. Uh, so taxes and spending, what would you do to help uh, curtail the increasing number of hidden taxes uh, we face? I knew you were talking about the hidden taxes on your website, so uh, I was hoping to be able to flesh that out a little bit. Yeah, so at, at every level we're hit, we're hit by hidden taxes. One of the most deceptive things I see at the local level uh, when, when there's renewal of levies and you hear the, it won't raise your taxes, and it's, for example, the renewal of maybe a five-year emergency levy. Well, if it's if it's a five-year emergency level that's been renewed three times, it's no longer an emergency levy. I think we need to label what it is and say it's a permanent levy, and we need to be fair in, in how we how we present it to voters. Uh, and I think you see, you see the the... the the crawling of taxes into every bit of, of life. Ohio's done a great job, in my mind, with the Open Checkbook program, uh, with uh, Josh Mandel and making sure that a lot of these organizations uh, have transparency and they have it online and you can go look, uh, because it's our money. Um, I think the politicians sometimes view this as found money that they can go spend and pad their districts with, and that's not. There's a moral obligation here. The American dream is all about, in my mind, economic and political uh, freedom, but it starts with property rights and economic freedom. And each time as a legislator I would take a dollar from somebody for any kind of tax, I've taken away a little bit of their American dream. So there needs there needs to be that uh, accountability through things like open checkbook. And Ohio went from, I don't have the exact figures, but the bottom of transparency rankings to near the top with, with that program. And I think that may even be a good segue to our, our second last question. Uh, what would you do? Uh, I know it's you know, as a state rep uh, to stop the increasing liberal federal government uh, from moving us to a socialist communist nation. Uh, this is really kind of at the, at the at the root of why I decided to run. Um, you know, I look at what's happened big term as a history teacher, uh, uh, long term to inner cities with things like the Great Society. And it, it's not worked. And we keep wanting to pour more and more money in and more and more government programs at the federal level. And it's really making us dependent on the federal government, not the federal government dependent upon us. So, for example, a stat that, that just strikes me all the time is that home ownership among African Americans in the United States is at the same level it was in 1900. Uh, that's not worked. We've spent $22 trillion on great society programs that created 80 federal agencies. And of those 80 federal agencies right now, 100 million people uh, receive an average of $9,000 apiece. What part of that equation seems like it's sustainable to people? It's, it's not. And we haven't solved the issues in inner city. We still have the poverty. The poverty rates are nearly the same as they were when the program started. It's all about uh, those votes. And speaking of votes, uh, how are you uh, helping or will you uh, show your help and support uh, to the people in your district? Uh, and what I mean support, support for 
of course, the Republican presidential candidate, Donald Trump, uh, in showing them that he was a much better choice than Hillary Clinton. Well, and, and this is a question that really cuts right down the middle of my district. There's half of my district that likes the idea that uh, here's a guy that's going to bring some change and he's going to shake things up. And um, in, in a way, in a way, he's going to be unpredictable to the to the status quo. And, and they like that idea because, you know, it, it sounds like an old phrase, but they're sick and tired of being sick and tired. I spoke to a man mm-hmm. today, uh, cold, uh, cold calling voters, and I mean, he was telling me about how things have changed in the last 40 years and the economic troubles he's faced. And this is a guy that's worked all his life, and he's very much a Donald Trump supporter. On the other side of the token, I have half of my district that's concerned about the rhetoric that comes out of Donald Trump. And I understand that concern. However, at the end of the day, if you weigh both candidates and weigh the pluses and the minuses, your clearest choice for moving towards conservatism is Donald Trump. It's not Hillary Clinton. Uh, the thing that I'm most disappointed through the whole cycle is with the idea of the media. I don't think they vetted these candidates. We're finding out yet yesterday or today or this morning that half of Hillary Clinton's meetings uh, that she held as Secretary of State were from donors from the Clinton Foundation. Mm-hmm. Why was that not in the primary? It seems like we were so focused on individual personalities, the media, the, the mainstream media, uh, that, that they that they really didn't do the vetting process that we go through. This is a significant issue, and it's interesting because the, the Hillary Clinton emails and uh, really almost scoffing at law just comes at a drip, 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 drip. And I, I don't know that people realize uh, the threat that is to government, uh, the fact that somebody believes that they're above it or that their husband can go meet the attorney general on a plane and throw up their hands and say, mm-hmm. what? Nothing to see here. So I understand the people's concern yeah. with, with Donald Trump. Yeah. yeah, I always say I'd rather have – I mean, Donald Trump may say some stuff that's kind of questionable, but Hillary Clinton does it. And uh, exactly. in my Here's eyes – Exactly. I see. It's a, I'm, more, yeah, I'm, I'm more concerned with what Hillary Clinton has done than what uh, Donald Trump has said. Yeah, and when three Navy SEALs called and asked for help and she didn't give it, that's enough for me with the Benghazi situation, three X Navy SEALs. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, yeah. uh, you know, I, in my heart of hearts, Donald Trump answers that call in, 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 in attempts a rescue. Right. I agree. No, I agree. He, he would get up at the three o'clock in the morning. She might still be on an IV somewhere. No, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we, we had a couple of shows ago about uh, questioning uh, her health. And oh, this yes. might sound cal- it, Yeah. Cause some people are talking about, Oh, well maybe she, you know, had a seizure or this or that or what have you is, and then I, I did have, say have one audio, uh, one video actually, uh, I linked to one of the videos on two shows ago where it shows her just kind of freezing up almost in fear, you know, from a protester um, or maybe just freezing up. And I know this is going to sound callous, but I kind of hope she does that during a debate, like has a freeze moment, you know, or <laughs> it's like, you know, deer's, uh, you know, deer in the headlights. People are like, oh man. I think debate is going to be lady, much uh, watched. Yeah, we can't ever be present. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you know, and then uh, I don't know. I mean, it sounds callous, but you know, you know, you don't want to wish ill. But in my, I mean, that woman's evil. I, I mean, I'm not evil in the sense that you know, not as you know the biblical evil, but just you know, what our concept of what evil is. <laughs> I just think she is it's unbelievable. Uh, and we can carry that on to our next conversation, but let's go ahead. Uh, we do have uh, 
uh, some callers here who would like to get in, and we do want to be able to get them uh, into the show. So let's go ahead, and we're going to do this in the order uh, the folks called. So we're going to go uh, for the folks who want to chime in at this point, uh, and let's see here. I want to welcome uh, Carolyn to the chat. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Carolyn, for participating in the chat. Uh, and she was saying uh, about her experience, and we're going to bring in Susan. And then after Susan, we're going to bring in Dr. Colbert. And then after that, uh, we are going to bring uh, the others in. And the first one after that would be Linda. And so, but first, uh, Carolyn's got here in the chat. Uh, she just talked about uh, someone in the store where she actually heard a couple grocery store, uh, some the Mexican employees. And so, you see, not all Mexicans are against Trump. Uh, we're saying uh, to each other that they were going to vote for Trump. Uh, they were talking about, uh, you know, all the Muslims and things of that nature coming uh, into the country. Uh, and so they, they're they actually going to be considering voting for Trump. So I think that's, I don't know if I could say that's telling, but, you know, it's definitely that, you know, all of the, you know, Latino and Latina people are not, you know, just going to swarm towards Hillary Clinton, which would be, uh, especially those who came in legally and went through the hard work to, to get there, you know, uh, Americanize themselves, unlike what a lot of uh, the people coming in just refused to do. But let's go ahead and bring in Susan, and then we're going to bring in Dr. Tolbert and then Linda. And then we, uh, if anyone else would like to chime in, uh, just push the one on your number dial, and we will get you into the show. But first, let's go ahead and uh, welcome Susan. Thank you very much, Susan, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? I am fine. I was out in the kitchen making my bikini relish before I raced back here. I do a lot of canning. Interesting. I I think it's important for prepping to dry food can, you know, to have stuff and saves money. So I make my own relish. Talk, talk to Glenn you know, back. He might want to sell you some seeds. I'm sorry. <laughs> what? I said maybe 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 talk to Glenn Beck. Maybe he'll sell you some seeds. Uh, that that's what I think he needs to just yeah. spend the rest of his career doing anyway. But go ahead. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, by the way, how close are you to Warren, Ohio? Me? Uh, this is Matt Warren. Are you speaking right. to me or are you speaking to? Uh... She yeah, she's speaking to you. Yeah. Uh, she's for she. She's in Idaho, so she don't. Uh, okay. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, Warren, Ohio is in the northern part of the state, so. Uh, ah, well, you have an interesting situation going on there. Man was, uh, one was disorderly conduct for him being intoxicated. The other one was uh, arrested. He was acting like a gorilla and touching himself inappropriately with a giant English wasp. <laughs> okay. Oh, my gosh. That is. Well, we have gorilla issues of our own in Cincinnati. Yes, we do. Yes, in the he zoo, was, yeah. He was, With Haram, Harambe, was I guess. Acting like a gorilla, but right. squatting on all fours, punching the black cup, jumping up and down, screaming non coherently and growling. <laughs> okay, that's something to brag about. All right. So, um, anyway, and, and Robert, how is the Cleveland, how's, the, how's your team doing, your football? The Cleveland? Well, don't you have a football team over that way, or in Ohio? No, no, I'm not anywhere near Cleveland. <laughs> ah, well, Seahawks no. are doing pretty good. So now that we've covered that, remember about the man I told you? Ever half the world is in a race war, and 
other half is chasing Pokemon while I'm waiting for football season. Yes, football season's here. Yes. <laughs> so well, I well Seattle Seahawks, they'll lose this year, but I'm kidding. Okay. I'm just glad there's something besides politics to concentrate on. Oh, my gosh. I get so tired of it. But um, anyway, um, yeah, he has some interesting stuff to say. And it just kills me that I have to vote for Trump because I I want to vote third party like I usually do. And I really want to go with Jill Stein or Stein or whatever you kind of oh, – Jill Stein. Yeah. Yeah, I, really yeah, I, can, want, I, really I considered like it, but I, I – my environmental, uh, you know, sensitivity, so to speak. But I can't. I mean, it's it, – it's got to be. I, I I can't vote for anybody other than Trump this time around. I mean, I voted, as you guys know, third party uh, many times, uh, especially my good friend uh, Virgil Goode, uh, when he ran for president uh, in 2012, uh, you know, voted for him. And, uh, yeah, but I, I, I you know, I, you know I, I just cannot imagine Hillary Clinton being our president. How can this country vote for her to be our president? My God, how can we award her or reward her or whatever with being the president of the United States when she's, I mean, the the corruption. Here's the thing. I I think what's going on with these emails and the FBI, I think they're all going to try to clear her name so that she can say, I didn't get convicted of anything. So people can because I get a friend, very intelligent friend. She she was a nurse, and I got another friend who's a uh, a professor. Very intelligent people who are. I really think you're going to vote for Hillary. I got to find a way to talk them out of it because I tell you what, but they're like, and and I brought that up about the emails. Well, she's never been convicted for anything. I'm like you don't think somebody with the influence of Hillary Clinton could get away with that? They're setting us up. They're setting us up. To say, you know, for, for people to have that same reaction. Well, she's been under all these investigations, and, and no one's found it. No one's found any fault with her. No one's found any guilt in her. So, like, are you kidding me? I mean, you don't got to be. You, these people don't have to say, "Oh, yeah, she's done that." For you to know, I mean, just the very fact that she has to be investigated with all these things. I mean, seriously, you know, th- this is definitely a point, in my opinion, where there's smoke, there is fire, folks. Go ahead, Sue. I was saying there's an awful lot of smoke here. You're exactly right. It's, I think it's the attitude uh, that bothers me most, the, the fact that she's entitled to a different set of laws. Uh, what's that going to mean as president? Yeah. Are, well, you, you know, are, Obama, you are you suffering from a terminal illness? Do you need to be euthanized? Simply dial one eight hundred call FBI and say you have evidence to a crime Hillary Clinton committed. A professional euthanizer will arrive in minutes to assist you. <laughs> oh yeah, if you got it, yeah, if you're going to, uh, if you're going to testify against Hillary Clinton, you know that's a bonus of death sentence off that for you. Well, Julian Assange, there, there's possible he his uh, lawyer and the train uh, thing uh, dead. And um, that's suspicious. And there's a possibility that Assange was, uh, if I'm pronouncing his name right, that he was targeted too. I've been looking for him and them to take him out because he's been exposing stuff. And Edward Snowden could be next. Who knows? I don't know. He's in Russia, so the fact is that um, the Russians 
don't like Hillary, so they may protect him real well, but Assange does not have that protection. I don't think he has some, but uh, someone was scaling the wall or something, and it was somebody they feel was trying to get him. So I, I, I look for him any time to hear something about that. So if you're, you're anything with Hillary, I'll tell you what, you could be dead. You know the Clinton the Clinton feud with Russia dates back to the uh, the elections in the 1990s with Boris Yeltsin, where um, a lot of people don't realize that, but President Bill Clinton uh, sent political consultants to Russia to help Boris Yeltsin uh, win in the first democratic election, and of course Yeltsin um, and Putin aren't really the closest of allies. Uh, <laughs> so there's some, yeah, some blood that goes back, bad blood that goes back a long time uh, uh, politically well, I didn't with know that. that. Yes. Uh, it's it's a very interesting story. Uh, there's actually a movie made by, I think, HBO called Spinning Boris, and it talked about how Yeltsin started at 5% popularity, then the Americans came, and he won the election. Yeah. That's true. And it's a, it's a fascinating story, and it's, it's for, I don't know, political junkies like myself, I love the movie and I love the story, uh, 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 but it, it shows you a little bit of the inner workings why I think Russia seems to be so uh, pro-Trump, anti-Clinton. It it goes back to really the United States interfering in the Russian election. You know, that's what they're saying. They're saying, you know, that's that's what they're trying to, you know, say now. It's like, oh, you know, the, they want, uh, you know, the Russians want Trump or, you know, what have you, I guess, where they can keep the Crimea uh, but let's go ahead, and at this point, uh, let's go ahead and bring in, uh, of course, you know we're going to bring it back to you, Susan, but let's go ahead and bring in Dr. Tolbert, and then uh, we got Linda on the line. I'd like to get her in as well. Uh, but let's go ahead and welcome uh, Mr. Tolbert. Thank you very much uh, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Great. Thank you very much. Um, the big discussion tonight was the education, and I just want to give a quick background. I'm the guy that fell to first and second grade, the high school dropout, 22-year retired master sergeant, motivational speaker, 1999. I get my bachelor's, my master's in theology, my master's in education, and my doctorate degree in educational leadership. So when I go into what I'm going into here, it's based on that I've written articles on everything that was discussed tonight. So we're going to go into the Amendment 10 and the Department of Education and how under the rules of our Constitution, the Department of Education is not a legal uh, organization. It is actually in violation. So when we discussed this, we wrote an article on Common Core in 2010, and we actually wrote the Common Core article based on exactly what your guest was talking about. It was called a hybrid school system. And a hybrid school system is when you get the parent, you get the church, and you get the school to all work together through the networks of Internet and computerized systems. So when you take and look at the Common Core and Bill Gates and GE and how it was started as a communist movement back in the actual 40s, and you take and look at the impact and how they're handling the system, 
and the lack of parental involvement, which then goes into what was discussed on the charter school system, the, the dual taxation, uh, the, the fact that uh, students are not given equal opportunity of choice. And, of course, I was dyslexic and ADD, and back in the 40s and 50s, we did not know how to evaluate, and I had to learn how to learn. And that was one of the hardest things because we didn't know how to evaluate. And when I finally did my dissertation, it was, you know, why do we succeed? And success was based on self-motivation. Taking the IRS and taking Common Core and putting it all together. Under the fair consumption tax, H.R. 25, you close down the IRS and the states then collect the federal tax. Under collection of the federal tax, each state keeps 2%. 1% goes toward education in the state, and the second goes to the medical programs within the state because, as we know, the Supreme Court ruled Obamacare and a lot of these things were excise taxes, and, and they became a, a problem, which then leads to all the other subjects. So what I'm really doing is I'm reinforcing what your uh, speaker has to say tonight because under the Constitution, everything he has to say actually is correct. And then you go back, why doesn't the churches support it? Well, 501c3s are unconstitutional because it is Congress shall not establish a religion. When Thomas Je- uh, Jeff- uh, Benjamin Franklin was doing a, a seminar in front of a Baptist church, he used the word separation of church and state. The Supreme Court later comes along and said, you know, oh, they must have meant. Well, the Supreme Court continually misuses uh, their power and their passing laws to include the fact that they're taking the Fifth Amendment, uh, using that as the basis for abortion. And basically, if a woman is threatened uh, uh, with death, uh, there's a right between her uh, given birth, uh, there's a right she has, which the Supreme Court can't rule on. And the Supreme Court has no power if it's not in the Constitution. And there's only 17 articles of power the federal government has, and the rest all belongs to the state. So now you go into the fact you're closing the IRS, you're, and, and, and good or bad, the H.R. 25 was written around 2008 by the Republicans and re, rewritten uh, by a group out of, uh, uh, I think, South Carolina, and then later uh, rewritten again in Texas. So closing down the IRS, readjusting, stop the dual taxation, supporting the private school system, closing down the Department of Education, all these factors come together. And many of the candidates that are speaking about education are aware of the fact, and we actually sent letters to Trump on many items. Uh, One of them was the fact that we need to do this. And we hear him after we send this kind of changing his directions accordingly. So the question, would the speaker tonight agree that closing down the Department of Education, which is correct according to Amendment 10, 
and reassigning it back to the state as where it belongs and the closing the IRS under H.R. 25 and having it then established where funding comes directly to each state be a partial or a solution to our education problems. Uh, yeah, to, res- to respond to that, I think I think that's an, an interesting yes. uh, argument. Um, at the same time, and I, and I agree, I think that the federal Department of, Ed- of Education is certainly um, guilty of at least overreach in a lot of areas. At the same time, I do come from a district that's, uh, you know, some 40% African American that, that has been through, uh, you know, some of the some of the integration wars and some of the stuff that had to happen with the segregation of schools. And when you talk about getting rid of that as a, as a federal overseer, I think that that strikes uh, some fear. I think that there's mistrust. Um, now, I think it's a very complicated issue in the United States. Uh, I think that we see it expressed through movements like Black Lives Matter now. My position on Black Lives Matter and these movements is that it's lack of economic opportunity that drives it, and it's mistrust. Because in a way, we've made a promise. Uh, I, I didn't make it, and you didn't make it, but through the great society, that everything will be all right. Um, you're not going to, you're, you're, you're not going to be poor anymore. We're going to take care of you, and that's failed. And, and I understand some of the frustration. Uh, so, in, in, in philosophy, I agree with what you say. I, I do believe that there needs to be uh, an umbrella that makes sure that rights of the minorities. Uh, um, of minority groups in general are protected as well, and I, uh, I'm, I just think there's so many levers of government um, that can be used to take advantage of, of that. But, but absolutely, the Department of Education um, created um, in the 1970s was really not uh, constitutionally. It, it was certainly constitutionally vague whether it could be created or not. It was giving an awful lot of power to the federal government on something that should be reserved to states. And the states have a reason to, to uh, have it reserved to them. For Texas, for instance, uh, is very proud of Texas history, and they certainly teach more on Texas history than Kentucky would on Kentucky history or North Carolina on North Carolina history. The states should be able to make that decision. Yeah, and, of course, you know, in order to do that, the representatives of each state have to start at that level, and then the governor of each state needs to do that. And, of course, you got your two U.S. senators. And if the U.S. senators and the state senators and representatives do not understand the impact of control of education, and, of course, the key is education production, and defense. And production is, in fact, the on-the-job training programs. It is going into given alternatives. It is getting into there's two tracks, and many of the European countries have the two-track education system. You have the track going toward economics, and you have the track going to production and training uh, where you're working with in a trade field. And this is what we kind of set up under the article of Common Core that we wrote. We were one of the first writers why Common Core is misrepresented in 2010. And yet many of the politicians and people running, and although I'm running for the U.S. Senate, I'm doing it as a no party, 
we got endorsed by the prohibition party. We got endorsed by the Constitution Party uh, because we're on track on where we're going and what we're doing. So the options that we have, the first question any candidate has to ask, answer is the one that you answered very clearly, uh, which is, in fact, the hybrid school system. That's what you're talking about, the church, the family, and the school is actually a system that worked in Canada and in China. And, of course, China now is paying you more money to be a teacher and going to China than getting a job in America. Um, So using the hybrid system, which is clarifying the way you presented it, uh, and and going back to the violation of the Tenth Amendment, and then getting the governors, and then all the federal government would do at that level of education was they would help coordinate the 50 states and work with each of the states to set up and ensure that there was no discrimination. Uh, I come from a background where the, you know, my mother had, was an alcoholic. My two sisters committed suicide and my cousins and everybody went to jail. And yet here I am, you know, now 74 and I don't get my doctor degree until I'm in my late sixties. You know, it's, 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 we have an opportunity if we pursue it through self-motivation. So, your emphasis on education changes the direction of America and people aren't fully comprehensive that education is the key ingredient to production and defense. So I I just want to restate that at the state level, and later we're going to get into the closed primaries in Ohio and, you know, and Ohio is one of the 18 States that understand the uh, 15th amendment where felons are allowed to vote and the articles that I've done on closing down the veterans and HMOs and PPOs. So I just want to reinforce the fact the way you presented it was absolutely correct and what I would support. And if I was in Ohio and I was voting, your comments, the most important is education, and you would get my vote. Well, thank you very much. And, and hey, also, thank you, Dr. Tolbert, for your service. Uh, you mentioned that you're a veteran, and, and I certainly appreciate that and, and want to recognize that as well. And, you know, and when I was 17, it was go in the Army and go to jail. Today, our young men and women don't have an option. And so we have all this one-track uh, young people. Uh, the mm-hmm. highest number sure. of incarceration of young people are in the United States uh, based on there is no direction, and the crime on. And last week I did a three-hour show uh, with 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 Robert, and we got into the Sharia law, the Black Lives Matter, uh, the Black Muslims, and and we actually got into how all this tied together. And in Milwaukee today, all the protest that you're hearing is not about Black Lives Matter. It's actually Muslims and individuals that are portraying themselves as African-Americans were in fact, they're part of the Muslim movement in the United States. And at this point, we'll, uh, we'll uh, definitely, or maybe at least uh, get back to that, but I do want to bring on uh, our next caller. And of course, uh, as we do here on the show is uh, of course, we do get back as you know, Dr. Tor, uh, to you uh, as part of our round table discussion. Uh, so we will get, uh, 
you back in as well as you, Susan. But let's go ahead and uh, bring in Linda. Linda, very uh, thank you very much for your patience and coming in and waiting to get on the show. Uh, how are you tonight? I'm doing all right. I thank you for the invite, Robert. It's been a long time since we've made a connection, so I appreciate your invitation. Oh, anytime. It's great to see you. Good to hear from you. Thank you. So what's on your mind this evening? Well, I appreciate both of the men uh, that I listen to and um, thank them for their service, whether it be uh, community service and country service or or military, which is also country service. Appreciate that very much. And, um, well, I, you invited me. I don't, I don't, I'd be better if you just asked me some questions, probably, I would assume. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you I've have never... any, any questions you'd like to have for our guest, you know, I said, you know, can you push the one on the number dial? So I thought I'd get you into the show. Uh, so do you have any, any uh, questions or anything for our guest tonight? No, Whether it's I on topics I'm, we've talked about or something else. No, um, I I wanted to get their Twitter uh, signs, of course. Uh, I would like to follow them, and um, if they're on Twitter. Uh, absolutely, yeah. The Twitter. Um, yes, I'm on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, the Twitter yes, is um, at sign Matt F O R Ohio. Uh, so again, that's at sign Matt for Ohio, and Facebook at Matt for Ohio as well. Um, and uh, I'm pretty active on, on both. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, as a high school teacher, uh, I've been well-versed in how this works. <laughs> My students gave me, gave me the, they gave me the lesson on social media, which uh, um, put me in a really odd position of, of being the one that, that didn't know any of the answers. <laughs> yes. Social media is um, an interesting tool to use and I have I was quite trained in the beginning and have taken off pretty well um, one of the top conservative voices on Twitter I go by Linda PJ PJ Strike Force you probably heard of me mm-hmm. so it's funny wherever I go people uh, hear uh, about me I actually got to meet Alan West because of that I got to go backstage I told them that I've you know, spoke with him and talked to him before and who I was. And the guy about fell over and then he said, sure, yeah. Oh, Mr. West, look who's here. <laughs> and so and I walk in and he said, hi, Linda PJ. Oh, my gosh. So we had him in Cincinnati <laughs> for, for the Lincoln-Reagan dinner. And uh, Alan was, yeah. he mm-hmm. was the most approachable guy you'd ever want to meet. Oh, my gosh. He grabbed hold of me. Yes, he's a wonderful man, Alan West. Um, very reserved, and just his speech that night was incredible. You know, I've I've been to a lot of rallies, uh, including three Donald Trump. I've uh, been to Cruz twice. Um, so I've, I've been very involved, um, politically speaking. And... Not too excited about Hillary Clinton, that's for sure. I don't even want to give her any time. So we'll talk about Trump or something else. It's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my, my my daughter actually, uh, when when Trump and Gingrich uh, was here in Ohio, 
my daughter and I, mm-hmm. yeah, she's 14. I wish she was more politically involved as, as I am, but I think she doesn't like politics because she knows how much time it takes away uh, from me. Okay. <laughs> but she'd mm-hmm. rather me be spending on her, and uh, I, I understand, especially when I first started the show in 2008. She, or 2008, I wish. Uh, 2012, oh, my gosh, she absolutely hated it. I did it a lot more than I do now just because uh, of, you know, the different responsibilities I have now than I did back in 2012. Um, but, yeah, she actually, but we did go, and she almost, gosh, she was so close uh, to getting uh, her picture taken with Gingrich. Uh, but right mm-hmm. as she was getting ready to get there, they start walking towards the, uh, you know, the tunnel, you know, to, to leave the, the, the yeah. building. Oh, we were so disappointed. I mean, she climbed a, a barricade and everything. <laughs> <laughs> to get over there. Uh, it was heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if it's more heartbreaking too. for her than missing Selena Gomez. But, uh. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited, uh, Robert. You know, we pushed for quite uh, a lot of energy towards Newt and with Newt, and um, he certainly is going to be on the Trump administration, which how could you not have Newt on there? I mean, Right, that's an well, how do you feel about uh and, and since we talk about this, we're gonna get a you know, go on to different topics as we sometimes uh do here on the show. Um mm-hmm. you know, on the show, Matthew. But well, so what did you think about I mean, I was so disappointed when you take Pence as his running mate. Yes, I was I mean, too what's at up the with beginning. That? I was too at the beginning. Um and then I realized why he took he took him, and I and I also am very respectful. Well, explain of that to me because I still don't understand why. Well, part of it is that he wanted to, I believe, get more of the evangelical uh, support, which he already had. Uh, Trump has a great deal of that, and I also believe in my heart, and, and this is just my opinion. You know, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't have the answers to what you're saying. This is my opinion. My thoughts are that Gingrich is going to have a much better position um, than vice president. I do believe that he is going to be consulting with Trump a lot, and i that's one of the things I like about Trump is that, you know, he he's willing to learn and he's willing to hear. And if you're not willing to listen to other people, um, you're not going to learn. This teacher just um, said that himself. Uh, he's learned from his students. In order to be a good teacher, you have to be a good student. So a good student is a good teacher. So I believe that um, he's going to have another job for him, but I, I really like that he uh, is going to be listening to Trump or to Gingrich. And, uh, well, I hope he listens I to like Gingrich when the debates that. come. I'm sure he's grooming him. I'm sure that um, they're buddies. Trust me, buddies. And I had a chance to meet Governor Pence when his visit to Cincinnati, and um, I was a lot Mm -hmm. like you guys were at first. I thought, well, you know, who is this guy? How do I not know this guy one state over? Um, And what a – he took – we talked to me 10 minutes. uh, Secret Service tried to move him on, and he's like, no – I'm going to talk to this guy. He's running for, for state rep. This is how I started. And uh, I was there with my sisters. He talked to my sisters and thanked them for helping me with the campaign. He was just a, 
a wonderfully sincere man, uh, and I was so impressed with speaking to him. But you're right, he's not going to go into a, a crowd and and knock him over with with a, a, a light show of some sort. He's not going to uh, have mm-hmm. people chanting and off their seats. But he's he's a well-rounded. Um, he's a yes, good Christian man with a with yes. military service. Mm-hmm. And and I well, respect him a lot. I'm, to talk with Pence for Okay. Well, see, and, and he's vice president, so who knows, uh, Matthew, one day, you know, we folks, we might be, we may be talking to the future uh, vice president of the United States here. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. <laughs> you never know. But, uh, now, did I you originally, that... and I don't think you have, I mean, we talked a little bit about your background, Matthew, uh, you know, and the reasons why you came in. And that doesn't sound like, you know, politics has always been your thing. Is that is that true where you, you did always think that one day, you know, I didn't want to be a politician when I grew up. Would that be an accurate statement? Uh, no, I, I've been education really for the last almost 20 years uh, of my life. Um, I have a, a, a bachelor's in, in history and I focused in American history, uh, a master's in education, a master's in political science, and I actually have a Ph.D. in uh, political science. Uh, as well, where I, I did my research was on uh, issues of national security and and uh, terrorism and, and things like that. Uh, but honestly, mm-hmm. yeah, I spoke to one time a veteran who said uh, in Afghanistan I saw that he had his jump uh, uh, his jump wings, and I said, "Oh, you, how many jumps did you make?" He goes, "I didn't make any. I was pushed an awful lot, but I didn't make many <laughs> jumps." <laughs> and and uh, I got pushed by my students. They kept saying, "Why don't you run? Why don't you run?" And finally, it, it, it hit home when I took a look at my district, and I, I took a look at some of the conditions, and I thought, man, I'm being Why called not? to do this. Yes. It has to be a calling, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do I you agree. believe that? I mean, it's a deep – I believe that with Pence, I, I, and I think with Trump. I don't think Trump knows it yet. <laughs> I think he's called, but I don't think he really totally knows that. I, I don't think he does. I think we're going to see a man grow. Oh, I think we have seen ways. it grow. Yes, we have, and we're going to yeah, see absolutely. more. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Well, let's really hope we don't see a Hillary Clinton presidency, but let's go ahead and, uh, and of course, as you know, uh, we do keep uh, folks on the line. Is there anything else you want to go over before I bring in our next caller? No, sir. I'm fine. Okay, so let's go ahead. I believe we have Gene on the line. So let's go ahead and uh, bring in Gene. Uh, Gene, uh, very uh, welcome to the show. How are you tonight? I'm doing pretty good. I got off work, so I kind of joined your show a little bit later at 8:30 on Mountain Time. So I missed part of it. Yeah, I, I, I don't have to add that. So I, poor Mountain Time is the, the time that I'm um, on the promo that that I don't put. I put the the time for Eastern, Central, and Pacific, and poor Mountain gets kind of. Uh, Kind of looked yeah. over. I apologize for that. But there's only so much room I have. I figured that you mountain people are smart enough to, to know uh, that, you know, that's, that's your 8 o'clock. <laughs> yeah. us, us Eastern and Pacific Coast people, we need to be told what time. But go ahead. <laughs> I have some thoughts I will share today. And I I have some, you know, I've kind of listened to some, so I'm happy we don't have everything on track. But uh, we stay set on Trump that it's understand he's behind in double digits. That's no one has come back during the campaign. And uh, I do not want Hillary Clinton as president, but I think, in my opinion, that, that she's had a better presentation about trade and jobs. And I think Trump needs to 
thoughts on just the regular people, the little people, you know, the, you know, what they don't do for them for jobs and so on, and, and thoughts on that, and try to win some independence over. Because, in my opinion, Trump has been his own worst enemy. But he, and I'm, I'm not, I admit I'm not real excited about him. I mean, I wish they had more different choices, but the the Republicans would offer a lot more than than Hillary would have. And then I know you guys were talking about the federal government in different sense, but. I know the state rights would be important, but I was just wondering about the South. We, we know all those reforms about down there when I drew up that uh, uh, the civil rights and they had desegregation and they had sep- separate restrooms. Before that, of course, uh, they had slavery, but Trust Lincoln fought and got to, to slave free. So I know sometimes the federal government has to, it seems like they have to step in, but that's the plus and minuses because. Sometimes, a lot of times, you wish that they weren't involved, like the BLM and all the stuff that they're doing. That they're 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 interfering too darn much with things. And the federal court, I mean, the Supreme Court is doing things that they shouldn't be doing. So there's a not the balance is off killer there. You know, I know like some of the times some they do things, but Robert, and then I just. Oh. I have one more thing to say, too, that even, I guess, the Social Security under the Constitution, I don't know if it would have been, uh, because I don't know how the, the older seniors would make it today unless they had a gold standard like Susan talked about, that if they didn't have any Social Security or anything. So I guess I'm a progressive conservative, that makes any <laughs> sense. <laughs> yeah, you know that that may that may very well be more of an oxymoron than a conservative environmentalist. Which I subscribe uh, to. No, I, that's what I say. I say I'm a, I say I'm a, uh, and I didn't coin this phrase. Uh, Duke Gingrich did. Uh, green conservative, uh, green conservatism. Uh, so yeah, I'm a environmentalist and a conservative. Good, good with that. <laughs> yeah, I, I like but no, Kenridge. Go ahead. I was, was going to insert. Do uh, I'm insert. Sorry. Go ahead and insert, Linda. Okay. I we normally don't talk uh, over each other here, but go ahead. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard, isn't it, not to know who's next and who's in line? But anyway, no, it's, uh, I, it's I would am watching the polls and listening to media that Hillary Clinton is not uh, ahead in double digits. There's, there's, there's no way she's not. She pulled in a thousand people at a rally today. I doubt. I saw no women, um, other than Cher. Uh, and <laughs> Trump is pulling in, you know, anywhere from twenty to thirty some thousand people on every rally, depending on the room uh, space. But no, the the media is pulling the polls, and they're making it look like Trump's behind, but he's not. He's neck and neck with her within um, the margin of error. So, and in a lot of states, he's ahead. He pulled ahead in Florida today, so. That's good. Mm-hmm. Robert. No, no, I heard somebody what the, the chime in. Was that Dr. Tolbert? Yes, sir. I, yeah, I go go ahead. You, your your uh, guest tonight has a degree in, in in history, so I want to bring it back to the Civil War, where the thirteen states in the South actually went against the federal government 
for violation of the Tenth Amendment. And everybody tries to relate the slavery movement, which was mm-hmm. the second movement, and how the right it's more about state rights than anything else. Right, and how the Jets and the Federal Reserves actually forces uh, the president to uh, get involved in a war against the 13 states in the South in order to maintain the economic status. And the war was based on economics and violation of the Amendment 10, and everybody tries to make it a segregation. Now, having said that, the movement became a positive movement, and then you had your uh, Bill of Rights, and then they add Amendments 11 through 27, which are all covered under the Constitution and the first 10 amendments. So we we need to go back and just understand that our misinformation in a historical nature in our system of education Memorial Day was started by an African-American group uh, that Mm. was hundred some people uh, that were burying uh, the soldiers. And yet people are saying it was started by a group in New York. And so we're totally misinformed of the impact of the African-Americans. We're misinformed why the Civil War took place. And it's not being taught in school. And it's definitely not taught by the mass media. NBC and CBS is ran by the Democrat Party. That's where you're getting your statistical data from. So I just kind of want to insert that. And, and if Let's I could just you know, insert, well, yeah, you're the guest. You can insert any time you want. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> we we sure don't. You're right. We don't. Uh, the one thing that I hit with my students all the time is how many slaves did the Emancipation Proclamation free? They're like, oh, all the slaves. And if you look at that document, essentially it freed the slaves in the rebelled states, which probably weren't going to listen anyway. Um, okay. So you're right. We don't we don't have a sense of of, of the complicated nature of of uh, of the, the the Civil War. And in fact, Georgia at one point tried to secede from the Confederacy because mm. they felt the Confederacy was acting too much like the, the like a federal government. So it's complicated on several levels. Correct. The one thing I want to bring up. Go go ahead, Dr. Tolbert, and then I'll bring this in. Where do you stand? Where do you stand? I just did three papers and traveled through the 67 districts of closing down the administration and giving all veterans HMOs and PPOs so they don't have to go out and look for uh, assistance in medical and the high death rate in the uh, VA hospitals and HIV and hepatitis and all this other stuff. Where would you stand on closing down the VA administration, transferring and allowing out-processing of people that were veterans into an HMO and a PPO? I think veterans ought to have that choice. Um I don't know that I, okay. I I'd certainly reform the VA system. The idea that we have we're paying interior decorators while soldiers are waiting um, or veterans are waiting months and months and months for care is 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 frankly morally offensive um, to me. Uh, they should be getting the best mm-hmm. care if they want if they want an HMO. They should be able to make that selection. Um, I think that ninety nine percent of the people that work for the VA uh, 
structure is just as frustrated as, as everybody else is. It's 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 kind of the I don't know the the, the bureaucratic captains of uh, that run this this thing or the bureaucratic leaders uh, that get lost in the politics of it uh, of just covering their covering themselves and and making sure they do what's necessary in order to increase funding for the next year. So I don't know that I would close them, but I would certainly offer offer uh, you know obviously it's more of a federal question. Uh, I would offer the alternative if if they want an HMO that should be available. Yeah. Yeah, and and what you just said was when I did the two papers, we looked at the top 5% of management and then 90% of your funding was actually going to the top percent of management and at the local VA uh, clinics, which I would not close, uh, are actually producing and doing what they're supposed to do. So it's not at the local level, nor is it at the uh, veteran hospitals, but it's the mismanage at the upper end that should give the veteran the option of an HMO and a PPO. They're completely out of touch at the top levels of really most most executive, in my view, most most executive bureaucratic uh, uh, agencies are completely out of touch at the highest levels. Absolutely. And this is one of the things we went with Trump with in our objectives under calledtoduty.com. We just wrote the resume and my objectives, and one of them was to show Trump what to do not only what we call virtual reality visas, uh, not only did we bring jobs home and send it to New York in 210, but we also went into the Veterans Administration, the Common Core, the salamander of districting, the illegality. So these, all these areas affect, you know, what you're doing in Ohio, but you're being trained for the next level. And people don't realize I start here, but then I'm going there. And so your educational background and your belief in a hybrid school system and your military background, all this ties together because I ask people this, does your candidate have a military background? Does your candidate understand education? Does your candidate uh, understand that America was formed on Christian doctrine? If the answer to these three questions and any of them are no, then find another candidate. Now, what you just did tonight was said, I have the education. I, I have all the ingredients that is required under education, production, and defense. So candidates need to take your position, and they're not going to if they're following a doctrine of Democrats or Republicans, and that's one of the issues. Well, I appreciate that, and I, I agree. I mean, it's we. I'm tired of people dividing us by uh, by DNR just just to advance their political career. I want to find answers to problems. Would you close the um, loophole in your constitution? Ohio happens to have closed primaries, um, which is unconstitutional under the 24th and 12th Amendment, and. There is the Electoral College is being misused and not properly uh, done. And it is when you have a primary, you're putting things on the ballot that should be on a general election. 
because lobbyists are trying to do things. And so a spokesperson who has a right to, to voice should not be based on a Democrat or Republican. I mean, you're having an open primary or closed primary, and you're not letting the Libertarians, the Green Party, you're not letting the Constitution Party and the other minor parties even participate. And the state is spending multi-millions of dollars of American tax money supporting a system that's not legal. You mean enclosed in, let me make sure I understand your question. You're not talking about, um, like, being able to draw a a party ballot at at the primary time. You're talking about including multiple parties on the ballot. That That would be constitutionally correct under equality. Okay. Under the 14, why is a closed primary not allowing other political parties to be on the ballot and only focusing on the Democrats and Republicans? And how does that manipulate the Constitution and eliminate? Currently in the United States, 40% of your voters are independent or no party. And yet when you don't open the primary uh, to these voters, you're actually swaying your amendments that the states are putting on in the primaries that should be the state amendments put on in the general elections in order to manipulate the votes. And this becomes a real issue. Fortunately, the state of Ohio does allow felons under the amendment 15 to, to vote. And there's 18 states only that allow this. And this, of course, is my, the next issue that I've addressed. And I did some background on the state of Ohio, and you're one of 18 states that says, yes, if I serve my time, then I have a right to vote again. But there's still, as is the state of Florida, and we filed suits, and we're still involved in a lawsuit against the state of Florida because they have closed primaries. Well, as far as Ohio goes, I know that I think I just read the news today that uh, uh, Libertarian made it on, on the ballot for the presidential uh, election it, it you're right it's a it's a two-tier system so i needed x amount of signatures in order to make the ballot as a republican candidate for the primary it would be much more for an independent candidate mm-hmm. it is i mean yeah. I, I think it's i don't quote me on the exact i i needed i think maybe 50 signatures for state house but if i were as an independent it might be one or two percent of the total amount that voted the last election which in this district would be um, somewhere around, uh, I think, uh, three or 400 signatures. So it's a significant, and if you go to federal level with Senate and House of Representatives, it's, it's, it's even more. Um, and I think that equal access is the issue that needs to be uh, addressed. But, I mean, yeah, if you can get Democrats and Republicans to agree on one thing, that's that they're going to shut everybody else out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, and uh, I'm surprised running for the Republican, you said that, to be honest. Well, I, mean, I yeah, appreciate I, it, though. But I'm looking, like I said, I'm looking for solutions. I, I think that, uh, you know, I make my own party just as nervous as the Democrats because they, they don't really know what uh, – I'm not going to be beholden to anyone. I mean, I, I'm in an 80-20 district right now where um, only 20 percent are Republican, and uh, you know, I'm going to tell people the way I see it, and, and oh, if wow. they want to, if they want to hold the R as a way and say, "Look, we're just going to hold that against you," 
at the end of the day, I have many more Republican beliefs and conservative beliefs uh, uh, than than fit any other category. But it, things need to be fair. People are tired then, of playing games. Yeah. Better and to be I, part I, of the solution than the problem. Part of the problem. <laughs> got enough yeah. problems. <laughs> I got to run, Robert, and everyone. I really appreciate your invitation. Have a good evening. Thank you. Thank oh, you're you. welcome. Thank you very much uh, for coming on, and uh, let's uh, talk you're again welcome. soon. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you. All right. So, good night, and, and uh, remember to share the link. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yeah, and, the, so and, and remember that if you do have uh, good night. Uh, yes, good night. And then, uh, yes, but also remember if uh, you do have iTunes that you can download for free uh, the podcast on uh, or through iTunes on your mobile device, whether that's a phone or iPad or what have you. Uh, so since it is a three-hour show and they're listening to a three-hour show, can you, who's got three hours in a row most of the time? Uh, not a lot well, of us, you. probably. So you can break right. things up. Thank you very much. Good night, y'all. Good night. I want to say good one, uh, and, and that was Linda. It's good uh, to hear from her again. Uh, we actually worked together some back in 2012 uh, during the uh, presidential primary, uh, you know, promoting Newt Gingrich's campaign uh, back in uh, back then. And so uh, definitely we're still, uh, as you can tell by her comments tonight, uh, still uh, a Newt Gingrich uh, fan. Uh, supporter, and I, I still am too. Uh, but let's go ahead and then let's go bring things back. And, and if either people have a question or if they or, or a comment or whatever for our guests uh, regarding our, our main topic tonight, and I do want to hopefully be able to get one more uh, issue in here that's near and dear to my heart, but hopefully we could get to that. Uh, but I'm going to stick to our topic at least, you know, until the top of the hour or so. And that is electing local conservatives to uh, combat the growing liberal national government. And so if each person has maybe a question, starting with myself, actually, has a question or comment for a guest on, on how he would uh, combat the growing liberal national government in, in our nation, you know, even just as being a, you know, not in the national stage yet, uh, but, you know, being as a representative, because we know that, you know, the states do have still, you know, at least some power. Uh, to, you know, fight against uh, the national incursions into what states do. One of those, and we've talked about this before on the show, is, you know, things such as, like, you know, jury notification, uh, things of that nature. And, and since we're going to bring up on the topic, uh, and, you know, Kelly's not here to explain. Uh, he's one of our panelists. He's, he's got also called him one of our uh, constitutional scholars is what we call him here. Uh, but he unfortunately wasn't able to make it with us tonight. But he'd uh, be able to talk more about uh, jury nullification. He wrote a book called The Hidden Fourth Branch uh, about uh, the federal grand jury. Uh, but it, you know, tell us uh, at least to what extent, and, you know, being a political science professor, I'm sure you know, or at least educated in it, uh, can you tell you know, the folks here more about uh, your understanding of uh, jury nullification? Uh, nullification in general. Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, and I should preface this by saying, you know, my political science background is in international relations, so uh, <laughs> in, in national security. Well, issues, Ireland, but, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, jury nullification, um, the idea uh, uh, that it's more of a common sense approach to to, to uh, uh, a law. It, the, the jury, which is representative of the people, um, finds 
somebody either guilty or not guilty in direct contradiction to the law because they feel that the law is 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 misguided in some way is is how i w- i would define it uh, again i'm not an expert in, in it when it comes to that um, um but i see it as a final check um in any kind of judicial uh, uh, operation maybe not a final check because obviously you can appeal it but a check uh, one of the checks and balances of the judiciary can I interject something on that, Robert, Dr. Tolbert? You can interject if you'd like, sir. Go ahead. Of course. <laughs> the real issue is going to be the uh, free trade agreement, FPP, and the violation of the court system is going to be nullified if Congress passes because there's going to be an international court system that's going to override the uh, Supreme Court, and I don't think there's 6,000 pages, and I don't know if you've read the 6,000 pages of FPP and how it violates the uh, Article One, Section 8 of the Commerce Clause, but the big thing is every representative needs to sit down and read the 6,000 pages and come to the conclusion that Congress is support supposed to support and, and assign courts and judges. And it's not going to be done if Obama pushes through FPP before the closing of his term. Where do you stand on F, uh, the, the, the uh, free trade agreement? Okay, so I haven't read the, the 6,000 pages. And uh, I'll just start by saying, in general, I, I think one of the issues I have with Congress is that they continually <laughs> – they continually um, give up their power, um, their their constitutional power, uh, so that they can later on make a judgment about what what happened. They defer it to other branches, which I have a huge problem with. It upsets the the balance the balance of power. Uh, so on things like they don't vote on a war resolution, they they vote on a congressional resolution that allows troops, but it's not uh, it's not a declaration of war or it's not a use of force. Uh, um, under the War Powers Act or something like that, so that they can then later take take credit if it's successful, and then blame if it's not. And and I have an issue with that. Um, the idea, uh, and that goes along with that parallels the idea that they're giving up part of their powers to uh, uh, to name judges uh, to another body, uh, so that they can then almost take this omniscient view and then judge it later on. I mean, it's the reason that. Congress as a whole is what 25%, 30% popularity uh, is because they're constantly playing these type of political games where the buck never stops with them um, unless it's successful. <laughs> and, and I find that just very troubling. And as, far as, the, as far as the actual uh, uh, free trade deal itself, you know, back in the 80s and 90s when we talked free trade, I was a huge proponent, uh, as were most uh, uh, people that that were uh, from the right, um, and I mean, I felt that the economy would would mature from that. But we're seeing dislocations uh, in jobs that haven't been addressed, and I, I'm reexamining that idea of free trade. I, I felt that that more jobs, more technological jobs, would be produced. But what we've essentially done is thrown an entire cohort of people out of work without any any alternative and i think that it's it's largely at this point 
uh, been suspect whether it's worked or not. And I, I think I lean towards the idea of more free trade right now is not better till we figure out what the results are. Yeah, and, and having said that, the United Nations, which is for the one world power and, of course, the ownership of the Federal Reserves by the Jesuit branch, and many people don't even understand, we don't own Washington, D.C., that after the Civil War, they changed one word in the Constitution. They incorporated that 10 square mile and they put it on bond. And D.C. is owned by the banks in England. So all of this comes together, which brings up the next subject. When we originally uh, wrote the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court members uh, were passing at the age of 50. Where do you stand on term limits for the Supreme Court. Uh, yeah, you're right. We're living much, much longer, which is generally a good thing. I, I don't know. I, I think it has to be a case-by-case basis. I think it's possible for Supreme Court uh, judges to still uh, keep in mind the, their duties and keep in tr- and still stay connected to the people. Um, but I also think, I'm thinking of Justice Ginsburg, for example, it's easy to stray from that because you've been in that job so long. Um, and I think it's a delicate balance. Uh, but I, at this point, it's down my list of prior. I think it's worth worth examining, but it's not something that I would that I would want to go in and change now it's we just have to prioritize things i think that our country has is at a really critical point right now um and we have to really change its direction in a lot of ways uh and going for all of it at once i think is just going to scare people i think i think we have to select our battles so to speak yeah and and the problem with the supreme court they're now making laws rather than congress and they did that Uh, in violation of forcing states into same-sex marriages rather than sending it back to the state under Amendment 10 and saying that they should put on the ballot civil unions. And the state of Florida has marriages one man and one woman, so when the Supreme Court ruled, they violated the Amendment 10 and the Constitution of Florida. And the governor of Florida and a state has a right to not uh, follow the Supreme Court under the Constitution. So a lot of our candidates and people running do not fully comprehend the rights of a sovereign state and the why we were set up under a republic-type doctrine rather than a Democrat-type doctrine, and the fact that we're a federalism working under uh, supervision of the federal government, but each state has its own right to object to and not actually follow Supreme Court rulings. And uh, many of our governors are not aware of that. And and I think an interesting point is, so at the Constitutional Convention, when James Madison brought up this idea of, hey, let's do a republic, and, and, and every republic in the past has failed, but we want to do one. It's that Montesquieu's version of it was for a small republic, and Madison's point was, look, the more land, the more diverse, the better chance, the chance your republic will be successful. And I wonder what impact the information age has had on that. Um, are we the same 
broad, spaced-out republic we were that the founders discovered, or have we become very compact just because of the nature of technology? And does that change how the republic operates? Yeah, and understand, as, as a representative, uh, you're representing the people rather than the people representing the government. Under a democracy, or uh, a Democrat-type government, you would be the people, but under the uh, re, uh, republic of, of the Constitution, uh, that means that you're representing a group of individuals and you're being voted in office to facilitate uh, the ideas of your constituents. And so people don't fully comprehend that a representative under republic form of governor under sovereign states gives the people the right of a spokesperson who you become rather than each and every individual. And that's why they went to the republic form of government. Right, because democracy is pure democracy is pure chaos. Correct. Because the will of the people changes over, and you know, the people are fickle, and there needs to be a there needs to be uh, a tiered system. We have that. I mean, you know, the House of Representatives with more answerable directly to the people with the two-year terms versus the Senate, which is a six-year term. I think that I think it was Madison that called it the saucer that cools uh, that cools the cup of public opinion because they have a chance to be more prospective in their voting uh, on issues and, and not be concerned about immediately being voted out, whereas the House uh, has that immediate concern. Um, but it's interesting because the only, elected, the only elected office directly by the people in the United States Constitution is, are the members of uh, the House of Representatives. Senate wasn't directly elected. The United States Senate, not directly elected. Uh, the President of the United States, still not directly elected. Uh, Supreme Court justices still not directly elected because we needed that kind of buffer between the people um, and the decisions that they make. I, I agree with you. Mm, I don't know if I think it's a, that, you know certainly a good thing, but you know where, you know, if it's too much of a buffer, because now, I mean, our so-called representatives aren't our representatives anymore. They've truly become our rulers, <laughs> especially on the national level. And, and that's the point I was making about the the disparate geography of America. So when we were discovered as a republic, you know, we had to take a wagon from place to place, and it took seven days. Now I can email and fax. The idea that, that, that Madison brought that that – land area will allow for these different factions to compete and, um, and somehow uh, stop others from being a tyranny. I wonder how much of that still applies now that I can jump on and email somebody or ta- text or fax or whatever you want to do. Uh, we're just, we've just become so more compact. I, wa- I wonder what the impact is. I don't know that there's a way we can actually measure it, but but I, I think that what you bring up with the representatives not being as connected to the people as they are to each other might be a result of this, this new era of globalization. And, and the fact what they're doing now under districting, which was really established uh, to give representation to the African-Americans, are now basing districting not by numbers but by ethnicity and also they're passing under Obama – 
where that even if you're not a U.S. citizen uh, or even if you're there's actually 50 million illegal immigrants, everybody tries to use 12 to 20 million uh, that they want to bring and give the right of vote. And they're using districting to manipulate who is going to run in an election. They will change the districting because they want a Republican candidate or they'll change the districting under the salamander clauses which is totally, and we did two articles on that and how to breach the Constitution. So this all goes back to the fact there is no representation if your state governors are doing things that are not constitutionally correct. And districting means that you don't get representation. You're doing it by population, and you're manipulating that population by changing the lines in order to have your candidate on the ballot. In my district is a prime example. I mean, 20% Republican, 80% Democrat or non-affiliated um, in a state that has, in the state house, 66 of the 99 seats are Republican. Um, my argument has been all along, look, if you want a seat at the table, I know you have a D next to your name, but you want to get me because I can, because as a Republican, I'm going to be in the majority and I can offer you some representation. It, I may not have all the promises of the person with a D next to their name, but at least I can, at least I can deliver on it through through the majority. And I, and, and my district is a result of both the parties uh, redistrict, redistricting Ohio. And this is meant to be a Democratic seat. There's no doubt about it that it's it's meant to be a, for a Democrat to be elected. That's why they've uh, since 2000, no Republicans gotten more than 29 percent. And and I feel that the approach I take is one in which I'm going to challenge that and say, look, uh, let's get beyond these labels and let's just get some things done. And and that's exactly the way to look at it, because uh, if you go back and look at districting in Ohio or any state, you'll find that it's not set up uh, as the original intent uh, when they did the uh, districting to ensure representation for the African-Americans. 18% currently uh, in America is Hispanic. Uh, The increase of the Sharia law and Muslims is 1.5, and by 2050, it will be over 18 to 20 percent. The African-American population is actually dropped in percentage of total numbers, and the the reasoning uh, and the intent of the Constitution is totally being misinterpreted and uh, not utilized as its original intent. Well, no, we become a we become a country of of rulers, not rules. Absolutely. Yeah. There you go. The the, the new oligarchy, as I said it. Yeah. Yeah, and then we're the ones losing. The people are the ones losing out, and you know, I, that's what I finally had enough, and I said, all right, I'm going to push back. <laughs> And that's one of the difficulties when you're coming in as a political party that you have to represent the entire district that you're in and they is not relevant whether that person is a Democrat, Republican, no party affiliated, Green Party, Libertarian Party, or even the Constitution Party, I believe, is going to be on the Ohio uh, ballot. So you, you really have to go back and look at the name and history of the individual, and not his political ties or her political ties. I, with 
we're essentially a two-party system. I, I mean, we have other parties, but essentially that's what's dominated, and, and for various reasons that you pointed out earlier, uh, you know, the laws are written that way in many ways. Uh, but nobody fits neatly into one of those. It's we're just too many issues. Yeah. When when the Constitution Party was lacking uh, a couple of elector votes, they came to me about two weeks ago, and they knew I was a no party affiliated, and they said, "Can you help us get on the ballot?" And my answer is, it's not that I agree with any of these political parties. But I wanted to give the Americans in Florida a choice. So now Florida is going to have four choices on the political uh, agenda for who to run for president. And I think that what we have to do is can we increase the base of candidates in order to fit in for the original Constitution? When Lincoln got uh, the president he did it under the third party of the Whig party and he becomes one of the few presidents that was able to do it under a third party system and I think we need to go back and take and look at why has the two party system failed well Jefferson clearly said a two party system will destroy America and, and so would the Federal Reserve if they take control and we're seeing what Jefferson says not only the fact he used the word separation of church and state, which is not constitutionally correct, but it was a statement. But he also gets into the fact that a two-party system will destroy America. And we filed antitrust violations against the two-part political party, and it's currently in Washington, D.C., where any corporation working together with another corporation and not divulging their coversions uh, to the American public un- under businesses, under tra- uh, antitrust, is a violation. Well, my stand is that we have a violation of the political party that at the top level people don't realize how these two political parties, like Bush is the one that put Obama in office, and they are related by seven generations, and 34 of your U.S. presidents are all related and go back to a king in England. And historically, yeah, I like people, to see more of that. I've seen that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. People don't understand and are not doing historical research on where did our presidents, how does this tie into England? Uh, why is the Federal Reserve under the Jesuits? Why is the Pope and the United Nations pushing toward one world power? Why did they divide mm-hmm. the United States for 10 territories under EPA? Why is FPP uh, becoming the predominant level? So we've written papers on all this, and, you know, the disadvantage I had before is I didn't know how to do research. When you have a doctor degree in education, you really don't know nothing. But what you know is how to do research. <laughs> and, you know, and that's all you can do. <laughs> I'm laughing because I feel your pain from my own dissertation. <laughs> Yeah, and 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 that was that was the whole key is, you know. Oh, I'm you, considering you, going back myself. I'm like, <laughs> get ahead. Yeah, and, and and you need to, Robert, because it it what it does it opens a door when you look at what don't I know and how do I prove what I'm about to present and what is my conclusions and recommendations and then how many references do I 
put in there. Now, the problem anytime you do a paper uh, using APA format is you come up to your own opinion. Uh, you can take everything in two different directions and you can support it. So if you're for Common Core, you can write a dissertation why Common Core is good. And if you're against Common Core, you can write an article why Common Core is bad. But to be objective in doing it and say, uh, let me give you the idea of why marijuana could be good and could be bad, and you write the paper, here's the pros and cons, and you, you give only statistical data based on outcomes of other people, now you don't give an opinion, but you give conclusions backed up by reference and documents. I'm a talk show host. I like to give my opinion. No. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's your opinion is based on knowledge and facts. They're not just based on opinions. Well, sure. Understood. <laughs> okay. And we do got a caller on the line. We've got John on. Uh, so let's go ahead and get him in. Uh, we've got a little bit, unfortunately, less than an hour. And I really appreciate all the time you're spending with us. Uh, tonight, Matthew, um, and I want to thank your friend Matthew for and Kelly. We're going to get you in on the show as well. Uh, we'll get you in there, Kelly, and our, our good friend Kelly is going to become in our uh, one of our constitutional scholars. We uh, we call in here. We will get you in, uh, and I'm sure he's got a joke he'll tell us too. Because we are what we lovingly call Bard's Logic After Dark, uh, which is the extended period of the show. Uh, which please do not drop your call because at this point in time you will not be able to. Uh, get back into the show if that happens. So uh, by all means, do whatever you need to. Plug in your phone and sit by the charger so that you don't get disconnected from the uh, the show. Because at this point, you would not be able to call back in, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, if you are on, uh, we can still get you in the show and uh, be a part of it, uh, as well as be a part of our uh, free podcast uh, that will be available uh, shortly after uh, the show. But uh, Let's go ahead and, as I said, we'll get uh, you in, uh, John, and we'll get uh, you in as well, Kelly. And I do see we also fill some more callers. And so if you'd like to uh, chime in, just push the uh, one on your number dial. And by golly, I was going to say something, but I can't remember what it is. So because that's the case, let's go ahead and bring in John. Thank you very much, John, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Oh, I'm doing uh, now fine. Now I remember Thanks I was going to – now I was going to – Real quick, John, I remember what I was going to say. I was going to thank uh, Matthew. Just have you thank uh, Matthew, all these Matthews and Matts, uh, for uh, contacting me about uh, having you on the show. Uh, and Matthew uh, was also not our guest, but uh, his friend is also the gentleman who got uh, another Matt, and that's Matt Bevan on the show, who is now the governor of Kentucky and now is too good to talk to me. I'm just kidding. Um, I'm just stating that he's a lot more uh, difficult to get a hold of now that he is the governor of Kentucky. Uh, but we did have him on the show about three times prior to that. So I um, would like to get him back on. Uh, so perhaps uh, we can uh, work towards that. And uh, I also want to say thank you, Dr. Colbert, for sending that message out uh, to uh, Fresno uh, to get him on the show for – or Arno, the Frost, I should say, uh, to get him on the show. Hopefully we'll hear a response now that he's got some other folks saying, hey, you need to get on Bard's Logic. And so let's go ahead and bring it back uh, to you, John. Uh, thank you very much for coming to the show. How are you tonight? I'm doing well, thank you. Um, this concerns me in the sense that uh, it sounds like we're just going to repeat history over and over again. 
Because when we talk about our own government and the Constitution is predicated on the Declaration of Independence, well, if the Declaration of Independence is saying that all men are created equal and endowed by their Creator with, you know, inalienable rights, so we're supposed to be equal citizens and our government is derived or instituted among men deriving its just powers from the consent of the governed, well, if the governed are the signatories to the Declaration of Independence, then they deserve to have equal representation of advocacy, not a semantics um, lip service. Because then you have, for example, if all of us that are listening on this phone lived in the exact same town, and the person that got elected to represent us did not provide all of us equal representation in the sense that there's a mutuality of agreement on the laws that would be obligating and encumbering each and every one of us and burdening us, then some of us got governance, self-governing as a free people, and some of us didn't unless he gives us mutuality of agreement. So my question is, how can you be true to the Declaration of Independence and say that all men are created equal when you have representatives that get elected to office and they only advocate to some of their constituents and not to 100% of their constituents because some of the constituents are actually treated as third-class citizens. That, that means it's governance by lottery or governance by chance. You don't, and I don't think anybody elects somebody and expects advocacy and then, then they get burdened with stuff it's like, hey, you're supposed to be representing me. That means you have a fiduciary trust obligation to do my will and do me no harm. But when you pass laws and then encumber me and burden me without my consent, you're now taxation without representation. And so we're back in the same boat. No matter how you look at this, either 100% of every constituent gets the laws by mutual assent with all other constituents, for we don't have the rule of law. It's the rule of man deceitfully masquerading as the rule of law under the color of law. And that's just... Well, wrong. how do we do that? How, 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 do, how do we do that? Well, what would you suggest we do as a nation? Well, and under the you know um, Declaration of Independence, we have the you know pursuit of happiness, which includes freedom of contract, freedom of conscience, freedom of association. But if you're being elected to office and then you don't provide the same benefit to every constituent, then you've already been a discriminator. And so, so how do you provide me, that for 100%? Well, that's what I'm saying. To me, the only way to do it is to have mutuality of agreement from all your constituents, meaning that you do not pass laws unless all of them agree to be burdened and encumbered by that law. The only natural and true humane government is that of consent. When we the people, those that are going to be bound and burdened, are going to hold themselves in true obedience to those laws and rules and processes, procedures of their own making. Otherwise, it's just but it's some person dictating laws on other people, and then th these other people are just going to give lip service to a point that, oh, yeah, I'm an obedient citizen, but 
then they carry a gun in their back pocket and kill people in the back when nobody's looking because they're not going to be held accountable to your laws. And as long as you use force, force begets force. So if you're going to use law or the pretended legislation, psychological gimmickry, in order to trick people into thinking they're obligated and that they would be forced by the hand of a gun or a court order to be held accountable to that law, you're still using force. But, so you don't really care gonna bring, You're actually trying to manipulate them. Okay, and, and I'm going to ask you this thing and bring it over to our guests. Is, how, uh, is it even possible? And if so, how can you get 100% of mutual assent? You ask each and How would you person. achieve that? And it's not everyone's going to agree. How, how can you get 100%? That's why, that's why it's called, but Robert, that's why it's called limited government. That's how you get limited government, because those things that we do not all assent to do not become law. That's left to... Well, then there never would be any laws. Yes, there would. What, what, There's one what, law, what, what one laws law, would there be? One law would stand strong in the sense that no one can be obligated by anybody else. You can only encumber yourself or burden yourself with a law. Do we all agree that's one law we can all agree with? Then what law would that be? That is the law. You cannot, I, no person can encumber anybody else except themselves. And then at at this point, I think I'm going to turn to you. Okay, and at this point, I'm going to turn it over to the, our guest and get your thoughts on that. Uh, yeah, I don't think that, that we're going to get any – we won't get a unanimous agreement on any kind of law. I think it's the the government set up as the majority rule with protections for minority rights, uh, not minority as in you know, race, gender, religion, but minorities and minority opinions. Um for all to consent to a law is just not going to happen. That would be the absence of law itself. Because people, and, and this is, for my money, why the Federalist Papers are so well written, uh, is when Madison uh, wrote the Federalist Papers and wrote the Constitution, he he bought into the idea that humankind is always aimed at its own self-interest. And rather than try to take that characteristic of humankind and change it, uh, which a lot of former governments do, he, he accepted it and said, "Well, let's use that as a tool so that um, so that so that it can check and balance power." But ultimately, uh, I don't think you get any. You won't get consent, 100% consent on any law. John, you want to answer on on that? I mean, because well, I know that, that me, that's definitely been your. Go ahead. To me, it sounds like what he's saying is because he doesn't comprehend any possible means to have mutuality of agreement to 100% of the constituents, then we are going to have some form of oligarchy force where one group forces another. That's the same problem that um, every empire's had throughout history, and that's the same reason Jesus Christ himself said, love your neighbor as yourself, even love your enemy. Well, your enemy wants you dead, so you're going to kill yourself? No. But in Matthew 7, Jesus also said, 
do unto others, or I'm paraphrasing, you know, treat others the way you wanted to be treated. Well, if you don't want somebody to force their will on you, and you want mutual assent, you know, freedom of contract by mutuality of agreement, then you have to extend that benefit and privilege to others. Otherwise, you're not deserving of it yourself. Give us an example of all. I mean, cause, I mean, I'd really like to understand this and and how it could po- how it could be possible. I just don't know. I just don't know where it could be. Where could that be? You know, in specific terms. You know, I mean, you give us a specific law that you know. I mean, even if one, it's, you know, use an analogy of a law that we have now. I mean, how would you do that? I mean, I, I just don't see where that that can be that can happen. I mean, how can you? I mean, every law is going to be against one person or another. I mean, I don't know. Do give not, us some examples of how that could be successful. Do, do not steal. Can is there going to be somebody that says no? Some of us can steal. Well, there will be people like, oh yeah, I want to be able to steal if I want to. So, so basically, you would never agree. You're saying that there's going to be somebody out there that says, "No, I won't be held to that law. I'm going to steal." Well, absolutely. Well, they would want to, sure. I mean, now you're telling somebody who wants to steal something that they can't. Okay, so you're saying that you you're going to use force to tell them how to decide what's right for them. So therefore, you're saying they have the right to use force to make you bow to their will. Because it comes down to us all agreeing on how to move forward, and that's what's wrong with America. We want to blame it on everything else. It's basically one group, whether it's the oligarchy of group, using mental scam artistry, psychiatric scam tricks to manipulate another group into thinking that this certain oligarchy has more power than the other. And I'm like, hey, that's why they keep passing all the laws and people keep breaking them. Is because people don't care about all the laws. Then the laws aren't going to do any don't, aren't going to do any different. At some point, everybody's going to just start breaking all the laws because then nobody agrees to hold themselves accountable to any of them that's passed. And it comes to my own true obedience to the laws that I make. Well, I just Let's keep go going back to the idea that human humankind is going to act in their own self-interest. Um, everybody that writes a law, Matthew, is a human, so you're letting some human make the decision. You have the right to decide for you what inbur- bur- uh, encumbers you, burdens you, and you obligate yourself to. You, until I impact the rights of others. So I have a freedom, I have a freedom of speech uh, until – and I can swing my fist at someone until it hits their face – and now, now I've my freedom of speech or movement has impacted someone else's rights. You know, if we if we don't all agree that we're not going to steal, um, maybe someone didn't agree steals from me and has now impacted my property rights, which I would maintain is 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 the beginning of all of our rights. I think they all come from property rights. See, I guess I'm too much of a person in the standpoint that I think in the deep heart of every man is a good person. And so I think most everybody I've ever met, even I've met people that's been in prison, I know people that's been in prison, and deep in their heart, they're good people in the sense that if they would have been given the freedom to be equal 
in deciding governance, self-governance, then they would they would have been decision makers in deciding things more on mutual assent. Whereas, so what, what was they decided on? You, like what? Like it, get, that's what, I mean, then, we, then I really want to bring in Kelly, uh, yeah, but you know, you know, want to try to conclude this. But you know, what I'm trying to, you know, what we're trying to say, or at least what I am, is that in what way would they govern themselves? Well, Are you suggesting a, not having any laws? It would. How would it be? Number, the first law is you cannot force your will on somebody else. Can't we all agree with that? Otherwise, you're saying you get to force somebody without their consent. That one law right there speaks for itself. No person gets to force their will on anybody else. And we've already thrown that out the window. Elect somebody to office, and then they turn around and say they represent you, but they don't advocate for you. They force a law on you against your will. They've automatically said that you aren't equal. It's all that's a mental scam. It's well, let's go ahead and bring this over to Kelly, and then uh, and then some others. So you know, because I said I want you know I want to be able to get them on, uh, and then you know maybe move uh, towards one topic. I was hoping to be able to get to you tonight. But let's go ahead and welcome Kelly. Thank you very much, Kelly, for coming to the show. How are you? Hey, I'm doing all right. Uh, I got in front of a grand jury today. We'll talk about that later. Um, let's see. A joke for, uh, well, hey, Mr. Tolbert, by the way. Good to hear from you again. Uh, John, hi, Matthew, new guy. Um, hope you win your race. Thank you. Um, let's see. Oh, quick hey, tell us from California, folks. by the way. Yeah, I'm California, the left coast here. Um, <laughs> quick joke. <laughs> Do you know what my favorite amendment is, constitutional amendment? It would be the 19th, because you can vote regardless of sex. And therefore, in my many years of involuntary celibacy, I can still vote. Oh. <laughs> anyway, so John, you've got something really interesting. Yeah. Thanks. We all wanted to know that. Oh, hello, lady. <laughs> Oops, there's ladies here. Oh my gosh, where's my mother to wash my mouth out with soap? All right. Wow. Uh, you, you've, you've, you've you've been worse, Kelly. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, share the. Uh, Share the Johnson story. Uh, share the Johnson or Gary Johnson Bart. Anyway. Oh yeah, yeah. Instead, yeah, yeah. Instead of uh, what was that? Feel the burn. Yeah, he changed it now to Gary Johnson adopted it. <laughs> but anyway, we digress. <laughs> All right. So anyway, okay, okay. Well, John, uh, you are absolutely right that um, in the normal circumstances, um, people do not have the right to force people to do what. Um, they want them to do, and I'm, of course, you have to look at certain levels, certain levels of, you know, personal level, friend, friend, uh, husband, wife, um, all sorts of things, where liberty is absolutely must be respected. I'm going to bring up a court case here, a paragraph here in a little while, but some of the fundamental principles. Yes, you're free. I'm free. If I fight for your freedoms, I'm also free. So, if you're free, I'm free. How do I fight for this? Well, I keep. You know, constitution's good. Yeah, I charge per hour, uh, Kelly. <laughs> oh. Okay. You charge uh, jelly beans? Okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, yes, you're absolutely right. Um, we cannot force others to do our will. We can attract them. We can show them the benefits. And even then, 
if they do this, they get a million dollars. They still can choose not to, and we can't force them to. So, um, anyway, my son, a couple of years ago, he didn't want to go to the fair. I'm like, okay. And he's like, this year I told him that story. I'm like, what? I said, well, you didn't want to go to the fair, so we just said to go. But, Dad, I said, well, you didn't want to go. I'm not going to force you to go and have lots of fun and play with kids, which he's a social butterfly. So you're right there. However, um, when we injure somebody else, that's another level where, you know, governments need to be instituted amongst men because, as I've taught my son, you can choose your choices, but you cannot choose your consequences. When we have a friend that gets murdered, I had a friend that got murdered, got pushed over a bridge, left to die, died about four or five hours later, hypothermia. Um, that was a heartbreak. His wife was crushed. Um, everybody screaming justice that knew the circle, you know, circle of friends. You have the right to choose your choices. You don't have the right to choose the consequences. So in one sense, um, one person I knew forced their will and forced uh, my friend over the bridge and killed him. So, yeah, that's... He chose a choice. He faced the consequences. He got convicted recently. Manslaughter, third strike, I believe, which means he's going to spend the rest of his life in jail. There does need mm-hmm. to be punishment for the wrongdoer to um, dissuade such behavior because without punishment, um, we would be ruled by force by people who, for whatever reason, um, they just want to be control freaks and they want uh, people to worship them for their ego. I mean, look at the kings of history. Worship me, worship me. You approach me without me. If you approach me without my invite and I don't extend my scepter, which is a you know metal thing like a cane but all princed up with diamonds and gold, whatever. But I don't extend the scepter, you're dead. So, you know, that's, in my experience, having multimillionaire clients, all these men want a kingdom and they want to brag about it. I don't know what the problem is. I mean, I'd say 90% of these men, I call it millionaire's disease. Oh, I made a million, and you didn't, therefore I know everything. Worship me. Unbelievable. I'm unbelievably sick with some of my clients as an engineer. But there is something wrong with man, fundamental, I believe. And when desires go awry and people lie, cheat, steal, I can tell you some real estate people in my county, well, the word's gotten out. They're crooks. Um, people need to be punished. I'm sorry, because they've trespassed on the liberties. If somebody kidnaps me, they have they have essentially not just kidnapped my body, they have kidnapped my liberties. And they need to be punished for that. Now, the Bible makes it clear that anyone who is a kidnapper, if they are caught with the victim... The kidnapper is to be put to death. And, of course, God wrote, dictated to Moses. Moses wrote the Torah. And God says, look, well, this is how I interpret it. How I interpret this is that you steal somebody's freedom. You deserve the death penalty. So we can choose our choices. We can't choose our consequences. Governments are established by men at the consent of the government when the obvious Consent of the government includes 
moral values, standards, punishments, the standardization of punishments, etc., etc., to bring about justice, discourage other wrongdoers, etc., etc. Is is that kind of agreeing with you, disagreeing? What do you think, John? Our our current government is full of of contradiction in the sense that they get into office and push laws on we the people without our buy-in and our consent. And then they send our law enforcement out to enforce those invalid, unconstitutional laws. And then when the people in the streets rise up and say, uh, you ain't holding me accountable to something I didn't consent to, you're not treating me as an equal, then they start shooting each other, and it's just going to keep getting worse and worse. It's all about oh, government. Oh, okay, my individual okay. choices of how I act towards a person is one thing, but when we're setting up a government, we all jointly own unity of self-governance. Okay, I'm starting to see where you're going with this, because if you have, say, you know, socialism, you work all day, hot, sweat, and some guy doesn't, and they want to take some of your money and give it to him. You're very outraged about that. I don't think that's right. It's called stealing. Um, it's all like Obamacare is Obamacare is a perfect example of you guys are saying it's okay for an oligarchy to get into power and then force their will on the rest of the mass. I don't know what any of us say. I've never but, said but that either. I don't like oligarchy. Does Robert? Well, I never said that. I'm from, no, I've said Robert, or, well, I, I guess I can't say everybody because I don't know that I've understood everybody talking on the phone. But from the standpoint that um, you're, I'm, I'm standing up for every person being treated as equal. I'm not putting myself in a position of being Lord or being master over anybody. I'm saying I'm not worthy of dictating or um determining the will or whatever without your consent. You guys are all, or at least the ones that I'm thinking of that said, you're saying it's okay for an oligarchy of people to dictate the rules. I never, I never wait a minute. Okay, people. and you're talking about me, John, so let me, let me, I'm going to chime in here. As I never oh, said that, I asked you, Robert. hold on, oh, hold on, I'm taking the mic, I'd rarely do that, so I'm going to do it. Uh, what I said is I asked the question, how is that something, give us an example on which it, it's possible, on which it's feasible, where you can get 100% of people to assent. My contention is that that's not something that's attainable. So since that's not something that, in my, you know, in my opinion, and I haven't seen it, and I don't, you know, that's why I'm hoping you could give us a specific example of where it's possible, where it's feasible, where you can actually get 100%, you know, of you know, consent and mutuality. Where, where, where can that happen? And I, I have not heard an example of that. Actually, I I'll give you one, Robert. Example. I did give that cool. example. The one rule is no, no, we can't. No one, no one can force their will on somebody else. That's one law that I believe everybody would agree with. But if someone wants to steal something, now you're taking, you're, I mean, in essence, what you're going is you're taking their freedom 
Uh, and I'm not saying they should have it. I'm just saying, and now you're taking their freedom of they want to steal something, and now you're enforcing something that they don't want to be enforced on them. No, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying that I would think that all society, 100%, every single individual, you know, legal United States citizen, would mutually assent. I believe that it is wrong for one person or anybody to force their will on somebody else. That one law right there is no one can force their will on anybody else. I believe 100% every legal United States citizen would agree with that. I would disagree with that. I disagree with it. I don't think everyone would. I mean, where, where, do we, where do we have that practicality? I'm not saying it's not something that's. Wait, I'm not saying that's not something that's desirable. I'm just saying that's not. You know, I just don't think that's feasible. I don't think. I don't so think it can happen. We can try to make it close proximity. So it's only the strong survive. Then. How do you build a school or a road? How do you know to pass a measure? Because no one. Not everybody wants to build a new school or build a road. Well, they can all put it in a trust account and send their money to that trust account, and those who do can build that school. Yeah, well, how about about if you're driving down the road and you didn't pay for the road because you didn't want the road, but you're still driving down the road that I paid for? Yeah, you can have a good for. point. Well, let's, let's, let's talk about this in different levels, okay? Let's go on the person-to-person level, relationships, friends, okay? Nobody wants their will force on anybody else. I would agree with you there, John, that I would say 99.9999% of the people will agree to that. However, you're going to have somebody who's going to be tempted, put into a, a difficult position, because when <clears throat> we go through hard times, that's when our true metal comes out, whether we're uh, men and women of character or whether we succumb to temptation. Um you know, that's, that's where people get manipulative because they want something out of that other person on a personal level. And then you go to the criminal level, somebody wants something. You know, when, when somebody steals from me, they're forcing me to, uh, you know, say I've got $50 and somebody holds, uh, holds me up with a knife, I give them the 50 bucks. They just force me to work for them for however much time it took that, to make that $50. They just made me do something against my will. Okay, fine. There still needs to be a punishment. There must be a consequence for that action. Even though the person holding the knife knows better, he knows he shouldn't, he knew he agreed to the survey by John that nobody should be able to have anything done against their will. But when people are put in difficult circumstances, that's when they fall into temptation if they're of ill character. And that's where the law needs to step in and punish if I could throw in too I think that this assumes that everybody's acting as a rational actor and and, and I don't think that that we make all of our decisions rationally I think a lot of it is affective and emotional and and oftentimes that gives us a bad decision product but we don't I don't know that the human brain operates that way that that we're going to rationally comprehend each decision I mean you know somebody cuts me off in traffic um, I probably shouldn't honk at them or, or, you know, reach out the window and yell at them because they might have a gun. But that very second, you know, they've almost hit me, maybe emotions take over and I do that. 
And we're all well, thinking about that at that moment because we're all quiet. Well, <laughs> well, okay, this, this, this is what I heard. It. Uh, well, this, this, yeah, well, I got honked at the other day because I was swerving into my, my truck uh, poles left, and I wasn't quite paying attention. I got a honk. And he was on my left bumper coming up on me. If I would have kept going, he would have hit me. So it was natural for them to honk, give me a warning. Okay, I get myself straight. We didn't have an accident. Thank you for honking. Um, but I, I don't like being an engineer because not only do I get detailed about all sorts of material things, I get detailed about emotions and situations and this and that. There is a thing called natural fear. Deer, naturally, don't want to cross the road when the car's coming. And that's why I can't believe in evolution because they still do it. <laughs> Hundred years of automobiles. I'm sorry, I hit like eight of them. I'm getting tired of these things. But natural fear is actually good in the right circumstances. Now, in your situation, it, you did a positive response. A positive response where you could have, um, you know, maybe he cut you off. You chose to be a better person, not honk, not flip him off. I've been guilty of both because um, I was scared and mad and all sorts of emotions. But you chose to respond positively and not retaliate, and that is, that is, that is a good character. So we're looking at each situation carefully, dissecting, and please don't get my engineer brain because you won't have a date. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it depends on the circumstances. And, you know, we have these basic human traits, emotions and feelings, love, connections with others, our mind, sometimes our, our mind goes out the window because our emotions get the best of us. And sometimes we respond well, sometimes we act, react. Um, reacting out of fear, hate, insecurity, anger, hurt. Responding well under the same circumstances like Christ did on the cross. That's really stunning. Um, but I you know, can turn in the large lucky gospel hour again, but we won't. But that, you know, Peter wrote about <laughs> his response. And thing. And so we are the better people when we respond well, yet we do have the right to um, confront somebody lovingly. You know, when I was pulling into the left lane and they honked, they confronted me. I deserved it. You know, I was thankful we didn't get in an accident. And a lot of it takes maturity yeah, to figure not out. Getting to the yeah, yeah it's, it takes maturity to figure out. Okay, so they just be really loving and loving and loving and let them abuse me and be mean to me and control me and manipulate me? Or do I have a talk? Um, all this takes, and I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm 50. I'm still trying to figure all this out. But it takes, and that's why, you know, hearing the story from Matt, it's like, hey, that's really, it's, because politics, Matt, and of course you're probably already aware of this, is, is very brutal. You get beat up. Um, Nelson Mandela was. He's probably well aware of that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, well, it's you got the egos you got to fight. You got the self-centeredness. You got somebody interrupting you, talking. Nelson Mandela was interviewed because uh, he used to play soccer, and uh, they asked him, uh, you know, the soccer. You, you, if you watch the movie Invictus, he unified a nation through soccer. It was a beautiful thing how he unified the country, but. They go, well, what's your thing with soccer? I mean, it's a really rough sport. And he says, you got to try politics. <laughs> and if, if the chair of our county years ago, the Republican chair, Don Schweitzer, 
he said, you know what? It's ugly. It's dirty. It's mean. You get frustrated. A lot of people give up. But if you hang in there, show a lot of patience, you can really rise to the top and make a lot of difference. Ron Paul is an excellent example of that. Ben Carson, excellent example. Uh, Ron Paul would constantly, I mean, could you imagine the worst cars he has um, in his continual, continual positive response to getting up and uh, getting beaten up in the political arena? It's mm-hmm. it takes so much maturity to figure all this stuff out. I just I'm not sure I have it. And, and so well, much focus, so much focus. And I tell people all the time, I feel like I've been well vetted for politics because I've taught high school seniors and juniors uh, for the last <laughs> 20 years, and there's nothing anybody's going to call me or say to me that's not already been done. <laughs> <laughs> I just have a uh, heart for our country um, getting back on the right track. And as long as we have people that don't want, in other words, I need to respect my fellow man. This is just me. I'm just talking from my own opinion, my own perspective. And I don't see how we can move forward because right now it's just continued to be the survival of the fittest mentality and, and mental con games on each other. And I have to, for me, it's the only way forward is for us to all look at each other as true equals and treat each other in the respects that I'm going to let you decide for you what encumbers you and burdens you. And if I'm not, if I'm going to force my will on you, then you have every right to defend yourself and force your will on me, because I'm usurping your will. And that's what we've had for the last 200 years since our Constitution and Declaration of Independence has been founded. It's just continued to get worse. They had a decent start, but we've gotten away from trying to get along with each other, and now it's all about manipulating each other in every kind of psychological scam trick we can pull. And that's just going to tear us apart. And I'm not disagreeing that that's something that, you know, our government now is doing. My my matter, you know, that I was bringing up is that, you know, with when it comes to ha- trying to have some kind of, you know, 100% mutual assent, I just don't know if that's something that can be – that can happen. That does, you know, my main contention. But I do, unfortunately, I'm just looking at the time, and we only got about, ugh, man, 10 minutes before I have to close things out. We got a number of folks on the line uh, who I would like to, uh, you know, we, we do our, our closing comments, and I like to be able to. Each be uh man, each be able to give everybody uh at least a, a minute and a half really because that's about all we'll have uh before I have to close things out. So let's go ahead and yeah, unbelievable. Went too fast. It's probably another one of those shows we probably could have fit a fourth hour in. Uh, but let's go ahead and uh, do it this way. Uh, and so what we'll have here is for closing thoughts. Uh, each as I said, first probably about a minute and a half for that. But we'll go ahead and give it to you, John. Uh, be the first person there. And then we'll go to Gene, and then uh, we'll give it over to you, Susan, and then you, Kelly. And then, of course, uh, we uh, let the guests give the, the last closing thoughts, and then I'll close things out for the show. 
And so let's go ahead and uh, work it that way. So let's go ahead and bring it over to you, uh, John, for our closing comments for this evening. Thank you very much. I just want to encourage everybody, united we stand, divided we fall. You are just as important, just as significant, just as valuable, and just as worthy as anybody else. And no one is better at determining what you're going to hold yourself in true obedience to than you. Rules and laws and processes and procedures of our own making, we hold ourselves accountable to. When others use or when forces used, it's all a scam trying to trick each other. Thank you for this show, Robert, and thank everybody for listening. And I uh, hope I can learn how to be a better communicator so I can really communicate my heart because I truly believe every single one of you are super valuable and super important. I yield the floor. So we do appreciate your We really do appreciate your input, John. You know, I just, I know that's something that's definitely uh, near and dear to you, you know, when you bring it on to the show and, you know, I just want to you know, move forward with that and, and get some, you know, examples of how we can, you know, possibly bring what you're talking about into realities. And sometimes we have to, you know, push in order to try to, to be able to get that out. And so let's go ahead and bring it over to you, Gene. Um, yes, I really, really liked what John said and what others said, and I really enjoyed this show. And I like being in a country where, where it's possible to have a show where you can call in and we can discuss things and have our laughs and our pains and different things like that. So I just really appreciate all you do, Robert, that you do have a, uh, radio show that we can call in and, and express our opinions. And that, that's for well, I appreciate it. you guys coming on. That's why we call yeah. it the uh, Grassroots We the People show because it's uh, about uh, yourself and the callers and our guests. Uh, and of course, you know, that's what we call it the Grassroots So We the People show. It's not my show per se, it is yours. That's why I didn't name it the Robert Jenner show. <laughs> so let's go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, uh, Gene, for certain. Uh, and, and you still have uh, about 30 seconds left. You want to, uh, there's anything else you want to say? Oh, okay. Thank you. But that's all for now. All right. You're welcome. Well, let's go ahead and then bring it over uh, to, and since uh, these folks didn't take a ball time, we've got a few more minutes. Uh, for the other folks, go ahead, uh, Susan. Okay, um, there was a lot I wanted to talk about, but we were listening to so much. But, um, well, send me some links, um, and we'll make sure talked, we'll have that be our topics of the show next week. Go ahead. Uh, he talked about the parties, you know, like um, he wasn't so much Democrat, I think, or more Republican, but you know. And you talk about Ron Paul, but remember Representative Lawrence Patton McDonald, who was a Democrat representative from Georgia. And he ran in the Democrat Party because I believe that it was Ron Paul that told him that it didn't matter what party you ran on as long as you got on the ticket. And um, so he... <clears throat> And he's opposed to mandatory federal school uh, integration. He um, he was he was cut from the same cloth as the old Southern Democrats, and so he was a lot different. He um, a very conservative voting record. Um, 
He was the second president of the John Birch Society and a cousin of General George S. Patton. And so my point is you don't, it doesn't matter what ticket you're on. It never should matter. In fact, George Washington didn't believe in parties. And I don't either. I, I wish there was no party. I wish there was no Republicans, no Democrats. It irritates me greatly that there is. So um, that's one thing. And it's the jury nullification. He mentioned that too. I, I like, I understand that. And um, he said, I had my own experience. The judge told me to, you know, I knew about it. No one else did. And they don't like you coming in the courtroom, uh, although they were very, the young prosecutor just looked around, looked at me, and he looked at the judge, he goes, I don't want her. So they don't want you really serving and thinking and judging on your own what you believe to be the law. They want you to follow what they say. And Mm -hmm. so most of the time they'll say bye-bye to you. (laughs) The defense attorney didn't even want me. I didn't think anyone that smart would be in the courtroom today. Oh, boy, <laughs> you just called everybody else dumb. <laughs> but um, they know. They know what it is. They know what it is. Trust me. And they don't like it. Right aside. So, yeah, certainly. We're, we're going to, since you brought that up, uh, Susan, you know, and you and I are going to be uh, working on getting uh, one or, or two folks from the John Burst Society on the show. That would be, I think, uh, some interesting uh you know, some interesting things to to talk about, certainly. Um, and so let's go ahead. Uh, yeah, I'd definitely like to, to have them on. Man, there was one more thing I was going to mention. I can't remember what it was. But let's go ahead and bring it over to Dr. Tolbert for uh, your final thoughts, sir. Yeah, my, my final thought is the representative that runs meets all the qualifications and the fact that uh, education, production, and defense, and that his background as a teacher, instructor, and military is one of the reasons why we should in Ohio, if I was there, vote for this gentleman. So that's all I have to say. Well, thank you very much. And and back to Susan's comments about the parties, uh, you know, I mean, I don't mind the parties. I always like a good party, uh, but um, I just would support multiple parties. I'm a real, uh, and and you may be familiar since you were in international affairs, with the, uh, and I'm speak with you, Matthew, uh, with the Irish political system. I'm a really big fan of uh, not only their multi-party system, uh, but I'm also uh, a fan of uh, doing the coalition governments because of the multi-parties, and I also like the way in which they do their uh, preferential voting, uh, which is much different than our first-past-the-post uh, here <laughs> in the United States. Uh, so well, definitely, I have a little yeah, bit of fear that one... Americans couldn't figure that out, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean the, the mathematical uh, way of the, the that? preferential yeah. voting? I mean, we have trouble trouble getting the getting the cha- the ballot all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> the hanging chad. Oh, we got the hanging chad. Yeah, the hanging now we're chad. gonna put them in order. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I missed the hanging chads, and I've been. Oh, never mind. I was said something really bad uh, <laughs> uh, here, and even though we aren't bards, logic after dark, I won't do it. But. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but to put on a serious note, um, you know, the, the, what I miss about, you know, Chad the most is that people count at Chad. You can count on Chad. All you have to do is count the little things that are missing. These uh, electronic, we've talked about this much on the show, these electronic uh, devices can be easily manipulated uh, to, well, manipulate the vote. 
And so I think that's something we definitely need to, to move away from. And I know there's uh, some folks here have been working on that. Uh, and that's actually part of where you're hearing Trump talk about, uh, you know, the you know possible it being rigged. Because it very well could be rigged for Hillary Clinton, you know, especially with the the voter counts with the machines. And we're, we're going to definitely have at least one show dedicated completely towards that uh, the closer we get towards uh, the election. Uh, but let's go ahead and bring it over to you, Kelly, and uh, with your closing thoughts. And then, unfortunately, I'll have to uh, do my thing and, and close out the show for tonight. Go ahead, Kelly. Well, I, I hope I can make this quick. When I came on, it was late, and I heard uh, Dr. Tolbert and uh, Matthew there discussing the Constitution. That was really cool. Uh, John, I'll back you up in the sense that you've had so many good thoughts, just real straight-up common sense that I understand. It's sometimes hard to formulate thoughts and be misunderstood, but I I think I got where you're coming from. It's good to hear from you all. Let's see, Matthew, let's see, you had a good story of response plus dealing with high school kids. <clears throat> Peter wrote of Christ, he committed no sin, nor is any deceit found in his mouth. When he suffered, meaning the cross, when he suffered, he made no threats. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly, and that's what love is. Beautiful. Um, and I, I would throw out, Matt, <clears throat> There is a big awakening regarding election fraud. And as a um, talking point, if you will, a talking point to help you get elected, um, there are Bernie Sanders people that are so disenfranchised right now. But if you come out saying, I want an honest election, I want to have a backup to the electronic system, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind getting rid of them altogether, we need to have an honest election and let the best candidate wins, you're going to get their attention. You're going to get a lot of people's attention because Facebook, social media, uh, YouTube, in 2012, Ron Paul folks got stung. They were screaming election fraud um, back then. I'm with Watch the Vote, by the way. Back then, only a few groups were coming forward with this problem, and scientists and engineers and all sorts of people. Now they're coming out of the woodwork, left and right, left uh, the right in 2012, uh, the left presently, and that is a, a big, I would hope you use it, uh, talking point. Um, let's have honest elections, let the best candidate win, whatever that is. Um, I'm, you know, you can contact us on watchthevoteusa.com, that's our website, and um, I, I hope you do well uh, in, in the upcoming election. So I yield. Thank you. Well, I'm glad you gave that shameless plug. For that uh, website there, Kelly. Uh, I was hoping you would actually. <laughs> for your watch the vote, it was watchvoteusa.com, correct? Yeah, watchvoteusa.com. Thanks, Robert. You're welcome. Anytime. And I think you have a uh, website. We got a about uh, yep, two minutes uh, that we could give to you uh, for your closing thoughts, uh, Matthew. And I really appreciate you staying on for the whole show. Uh, I want to bit, uh, wish you luck on your campaign and definitely have uh, Matthew keep uh, me posted on how things are going. Or, and you're, or you're welcome to get my contact information from him and, and let me know yourself. But let's go ahead and uh, give you your final thoughts. Thank you. Yes, I, I appreciate it very much. And, uh, you know, I felt like uh, we had to go with uh, Ma- Matthew because uh, it worked last time with Matthew and Matt Bevan. 
um, maybe we'll continue mm-hmm. that. Uh, that uh, I'm a bit superstitious. We'll continue that with my election, hopefully. <laughs> no, but, yeah, uh, that would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. You can you can look at me at electwallert.com, and you can follow me at uh, on Twitter at Matt uh, F O R Ohio, and uh, it's Matt for Ohio on on Facebook. Um, and I just like to extend my appreciation to everybody that called in this evening. I, look, this is what it's about. Um, it, it's it's civilly discussing these problems dropping labels and, and trying to really address the issues that we face. And, and you know, I, as, I'm, as I'm talking to you, I'm getting updates. Uh, one of the issues in Cincinnati that's just been startling in the last 24 hours is that uh, a new form of uh, heroin has hit the streets, and there's been, on the west side alone, 30 overdoses in the last 24 hours uh, with a wow. with drug that's, late, late that's 15,000 15, times more powerful than morphine. Um, wow. And you know what? It doesn't differentiate between Democrats and Republicans or green or libertarian or constitutional. It's it's a problem that we need to start facing. But I appreciate the opportunity to, to discuss some of these issues tonight. Oh, man, I, I want to – you're in yeah. Ohio, right? Of course. Yes. I, I wanted to throw out a, a bonus feature, if you will. Um, Cliff Arnebeck, law office of Cliff Arnebeck. Okay. Um, he, he would talk – I've talked to him. He has filed a national RICO, or should have by now, a national RICO suit regarding this election fraud. He is probably the top attorney in the country. And if you were to call him and say, hey, Cliff, um, I'm running for Ohio State House. What, what are your thoughts? How do I um, deal with this at the legislature level if I'm elected? Okay. And you're going to have an ear right now, and who knows if he'll – some of these groups are, you know, forget Hillary, forget um, Trump. I want to know right now, are you going to fix the election fraud problem? If you don't even bring this up, I'm not even going to consider you. Bernie Sanders folks are saying that. So a call to Cliff Arnabak. You can research him on the web and just talk with him, see if you can nurture his support. That could be a big help in your election. Okay, I will do. Thank you for the, the tip. Yeah, Ar- Arnabak. Cliff Arnabeck okay. or Clifford, yeah. Okay. So definitely, we can't. We'll uh, we'll contact you. I wouldn't mind uh, meeting up to meeting up with you sometime, uh, Matthew, as well, uh, since we're not uh, too far from each other, I believe. And so, of course, unfortunately, I do have to close things up tonight. And I want to thank everyone, of course, uh, for being part of the show, uh, because as I said earlier in the show, this uh, the show about you, uh, our callers, and our listeners, and we definitely want to. Uh, bring that out for, as we say, the grassroots. And so, of course, I will end tonight, as I do every night, and that is with the song by Aubrey Ashburn. And you can hear more of her music by going to www.aubreyashburn.com. So thank you once again, folks. Take care. We will see you next week at 10 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, And good night, and take care. Good night, folks.